Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us. This is episode 146, and we're recording this on Sunday, October 3rd, 2021, at about 4.25 p.m. Pacific time, after all the crazy sports stuff ended, basically, is is what it's all about here. I'm your host, Terry Plecknett. Joining me, as always, Todd Plecknett, Zach Saltz. Uh, Todd, was the last, like, three or four hours like the craziest seattle sports has like ever been probably yeah i don't (laughs) think i've ever actually been score checking like four different games while watching the seahawks before like that that was interesting yeah i had i i had the uh the mariners on the tv i had the seahawks on on the ipad and then I was uh, I was flipping back to MLB Network whenever the Mariners were on commercial. So Mariners were more important to me than the Seahawks, which of course means the Mariners lost and the Seahawks won. But Zach, Zach you said you didn't watch a whole lot today. No, I was saying off off the air. I'm traumatized from yesterday. I hate football. I hate college football. I hate the Ducks. I hate Stanford. I hate everything. Why do you inv- why do we invest in this? You know, it ruins the whole day. You know, this was the worst freaking uh, sports event since the 2018 AFC title game. I'm disgusted. I'm appalled. And yet, uh, you know, they think you out. They think you're. We think you're out. They pull you right back in, as uh, Silvio says in episode two of The Sopranos. So I'm just glad that we have something else to talk about today, other than the horrific nightmare of the Ducks losing in a, to the refs and uh, the Mariners being knocked out. It's a sad day for the Pacific Northwest. Go Seahawks! I'm glad you guys got a win today. That was a nice win, quality win over a, a quality opponent. I mean, it took 25 minutes for them to get a first down and they end up scoring 28 points, but I, I have no idea what happened there. I texted Todd after the first quarter and said, this game is unwatchable. And uh, and his response was, yeah, pretty much. And that was also when the Mariners were down 4 nothing. So is it weird that the country tonight is New England Patriot fans? Like the whole <laughs> world is New England Patriot fans tonight. I can't ever say, as a former New England Patriot fan, it, that certainly never happened, uh, but it's nice to have everybody on board tonight. I'm just going to say I'm glad that the Yankees and Red Sox both won, so the fact that the Mariners lost today meant nothing. That, I that's... don't know. It would have been fun to see Vlad Jr. I, I, I think that guy would have been fun in the playoffs, if yeah. even for one game. I was watching MLB Network a little bit, and they were talking – the Blue Jays are going to have a top two Cy Young finisher, a top two MVP finisher. Four guys have 100 plus RBIs and they miss the playoffs. Yeah, there's they need to redo the playoff format for baseball, especially because the Dodgers now will not have home field until the World Series. <laughs> and they had 105 yeah. wins. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's crazy. So, Zach, the one thing I was going to ask you about football is are you. Are you one of those duck fans that hates the beavers or could you look at like what happened yesterday as oh good for you little brother? Honestly, I don't even know what happened. I turned it, off I stopped watching football at five o'clock. It was it, the, the beavers beat the huskies. 
All right. Well, go, yeah, go Beavers. I, I would root for the Beavers over the Huskies. There are little, there are little brothers, you know, I, I support them. Uh, you know, they're like, uh, they're like Christopher Malsanti to our Tony Soprano. We, we, we support them. We love them. Um, unless it's the event formerly known as the civil war that we can't call the civil war anymore. Yeah. Todd, Todd, how bad was that loss last night? And I wasn't actually able to watch it, but okay. I mean, I'm Neither sure was it was I. pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that the spread was two and a half and they covered because they won by three, right? So there you go. The yeah. Beavers have some quality wins this year. Didn't they beat up on USC? It did. That, that was impressive. Yeah, they lost to Purdue. They lost to Purdue. And then, but That's then they beat up. Loss. Then I watched them. See, I went to a game. That's what did it. That's I went true. To a game, watch them beat up on Idaho. You brought your good karma to them. They've been winning ever since. There you go. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much uh, for tuning in. Make sure you're subscribing, rating, reviewing all over the place, wherever you find your podcast Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube. Uh, Daily Notes came back this week with a new episode. So make sure you check that out. Uh, all right. What are we drinking? I, I think this is an important question on a day like today, Zach. <laughs> well, it is a uh, happy October, happy reformation month to all those out there. I'm drinking some fabulous Oktoberfest from free state brewery out of the one and only Lawrence, Kansas, because you have to drink on a day like this after your team, uh, blows it. Well done. Well done. Todd. I'm drinking a Manhattan for no good apparent reason other than that's good. So you're you're celebrating the Yankees making the playoffs, I guess. And the Mets not making it again. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, I, I had to bust out the the Mariner bat bat mug today. So I've got that. And I, I went a similar route as, as Zach. Local brewery, Ridge Walker. They've got a brand new uh, Maxwell's Mosh Pit Pumpkin Cream Ale. And so that that's what I've got today. And it's, it's pretty a, good. Sounds more like a coffee than a beer, but all yeah. right. And it, it's beer. It's good. So yeah, that's what I got. That's what I got. All right. Let's get into what we've been watching. And we are going to start with Todd. Okay, my Matt Dillon movie was the 2014 Jonathan Sobel movie, The Art of the Steel. And this movie stars Kurt Russell. Uh, he's the lead. He plays a guy named Crunch Calhoun, which is just a ridiculous name. But he's just getting out of prison. He's like a semi-retired thief. And he decides to get his gang back together for one last job. Like, you've never seen that movie before. Uh, it's a Canadian movie. It's like clearly inspired by Ocean's Eleven and even like introduces all the parts of the team and like title cards and stuff, but it plays more like Italian job, but it kind of works. Uh, the actors are, they're good actors, but they all seem like they're speaking a foreign language, even though the movie's in English, because just because the screenplay is so weird, like, uh, but the, the actors are cool. Terrence Stamp is a scene stealer. Matt Dillon's doing his thing, which is basically like playing as the House of Jack Boat character, which I think can actually fit into any genre in any situation which is probably why I like him so much. Uh, Jay Baruchel is the resident Canadian in this. He's random as shit. Uh, Chris Diam Diamantopoulos is one, he's becoming like one of my favorite comedic character actors. He's like a younger, like fresher version of like Jeremy Piven or something like that. But this is like a Kurt Russell movie through and through, but he's like maybe 20 years too old for the movie. It should have been like a nineties Kurt Russell movie. And the movie just kind of goes about aimlessly. It, it's like, it's like an inside joke. They're only like partially in on, uh, 
I don't know. It works sort of because of the actors. It's sort of like a Cohen knockoff in the end. It's kind of clever, but it, like all movies that have outtakes in the credits, it's not really a good thing. I'm giving it two stars, but it's kind of fun. It's it's available on Tubi, so you can watch it if you want to. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Zach, you're next. What did you watch? All right. Well, I actually went to the theater yesterday and I saw the, uh, the, as Spike Lee revealed to us, the Cannes Award winner oh. uh, from Julia Descardo. It is called Titan and uh, it is a French movie. Uh, and it is about a uh, woman who's played by uh, Ag- Agatha Roussel. Her name is Alexia. And at the beginning of the movie, we see a flashback sequence where she gets in a pretty horrific car accident. And she has to, she survives, but she gets like a, tar- a, a, a titanium sort of like tube or some sort of filling in her head. And as a result, we flash forward uh, to when she's now an adult. And basically... Uh, maybe as a result of that titanium installation in her head, she has this unusual obsession, fetish attraction to all things metal. Um, she loves like going to car shows and like twerking on top of cars. She's sort of like a semi-model. Um, but she also has an appetite for like killing people um, with uh, metal objects. There's very much like a David Cronenberg crash aspect to this movie that like combines the fetishization of like uh, body horror with metal and cars. And so the first half of this movie feels like it's almost like uh, you know, like an early 2000s French horror movie. It's really graphic um, in its depictions of the killings that she does over the course of the movie, which are pretty inexplicable. It doesn't really explain why she's motivated to do it. I guess the titanium plate, I don't know. But then the second half of the movie uh, switches a little bit because she's on the run and uh, she's now been accused of all these murders. And so she finds this sort of, uh, uh, I guess, um, you know, metaphorical father figure at a fire station and she distorts her appearance. Um, You know, this was a crazy movie. This is definitely a Todd movie. Actually, it's like a mixture of a Todd movie and an Adam movie. It certainly has Todd's like Holy Motors sensibility. It was impossible to watch this movie, not think about Holy Motors uh, because there's literally a scene where she actually has sex with a car, as you may have read about. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's actually somewhat believable as, as far as you can imagine a scene like that going, but it definitely has an Adam Daly sensibility for extreme gruesome violence, like over the top violence and kind of like ridiculously funny violence too. I'm giving it two stars. It really wasn't my thing. The real thing that was missing from the movie is that it didn't even have the Sia song. I am titanium. I mean, come on. The whole movie has this like, you know, French pop aesthetic to it and they couldn't even include that song. Give me a break. It's, it's an overrated can winner. I get what the, the what the director's trying to do. It's kind of interesting. Uh, my wife and I were the only ones in the theater. <laughs> that that should say something about it, maybe. But you haven't seen the, the lady's other movie, Raw, right? No, and I heard that, that that's actually more intense than this movie. And this movie was like pretty dang out there. Yeah, it was yeah, like Gaspar Noir is... territory. Yeah. Raw, yeah, Raw is pretty nuts. I I don't know. I, I can't imagine. What the yeah I I really I was going to see Titan yesterday but I didn't get to but I'm looking forward to it yeah you should Despite definitely see it. there you should definitely see it. there's also some weird undercurrents of she's the man and Matchstick Men in it I won't say how or why but like you know maybe I was looking for Amanda Bynes Allison Lohman vibes in this movie but uh, it just it wasn't for me it wasn't my taste it's not to say it wasn't a bad a, a, a horrible movie it just wasn't my thing 
Yeah, I really want to see this one too, but I gotta go all the way into downtown Portland to see it. It's not a Terry movie. I I, I think t- this mm. is this is a Holy Motors type movie, Terry. But I would be <laughs> curious to watch your reaction to it. Uh, I'll try and get to it as soon as I can. And it looks probably Todd will probably get to it at some point this week too. So we'll hear his reaction next week. All right, my turn. My Oscar anniversary watch goes back ten years to a lone costume design nominee. There were several of these that year. Uh, but it's it's a movie that uh, Zach might be surprised that I never saw. The Artist. No, no. That was, that was a bad guess. That was I think that was nominated for more than costumes. It, it may have had a big <laughs> premiere in Portland. Hmm. 50-50. No. That was a costume nominee. <laughs> it, it was 50-50. It was a costume nominee. It may have had something to do with our college of why it had a, of our, our former university of why it had a big premiere in Portland. Oh, is it the one about uh, Edward DeVere? Yeah, Anonymous. Yes. Oh, all right. I've never seen it. Yeah, I, I hadn't yet either. I don't know why. They had, yeah, they had a big premiere. My wife went to the premiere 10 years ago when it first came out. I never got around to it. And so, yeah, Anonymous, um, directed by Roland Emmerich for some reason. Um, this, is, I, I, this is the whole thing. All right. The whole time I've, I've known this movie existed, there have been several questions I've had. One is, why does this need to be an entire movie? And, it, and it's, it's based on the theory that William Shakespeare did not write Shakespeare's plays. In fact, it was Edward de Vere, who was the Earl of Oxford, and he passed them on to Shakespeare and let him be like the pen name on them because as a noble, he wasn't allowed to be a part of the, the theater scene. And so why did this need to be a movie? That was one thing. And the second thing is, why did it need to be directed by Roland Emmerich? I mean, this is the guy who brought us Independence Day and Godzilla and uh, uh, all sorts of like big time disaster movies day after tomorrow and a period piece about Shakespeare. And I still don't know why I still don't know why anyways uh, it uh, let's see here. Resiphons plays uh, Edward Devere and uh, Vanessa Redgrave plays Queen Elizabeth the first for some reason in the middle of all this, there's also like a power struggle. Like it is way too dramatic for, for being what it's about, about a guy who is ghostwriting all of Shakespeare's plays. Shakespeare's played uh, by Rafe Spall. Um, and uh, it is, I don't know, it's way overly dramatic. It had no business being as serious as it was or a movie in any way. Uh, I'm giving it two stars. It did. I mean, the costumes were great. It did look good. The performances were all right. I just still don't understand why the movie exists. And Roland Emmerich, I don't know. I don't know. It, it like look at Roland Emmerich's filmography. Nothing didn't, else on there looks anything like this. Didn't he also do the mission? That was Roland know. Joffe. Oh, wrong Roland. <laughs> Too many Rollins. <laughs> no, okay. So let, let me let me pull it up here because yeah, this is ridiculous. He had so 2012, his, right? He had 2012. Um, let's see here. So he's got uh, so Independence Day was his big breakout, but he had Universal Soldier and Stargate before that. 
couple before that too, but then Godzilla, the Patriot, the day after tomorrow, 10,000 BC, 2012, White House down, um, the Independence Day sequel, Midway he had last year. Well, clearly he directed all these movies so he could finance something as um, unfinanceable as uh, a project about Edward Devere. Apparently, apparently. This was his passion, like a certain professor (laughs) at Concordia University. Uh, Yes, our college had a Shakespeare authorship center that was all about the study of Edward Devere. Um, Yeah, so I want to hear more about the, you should invite your wife on. I want to hear about the premiere of this movie because this must have, first of all, to to be clear to the five listeners listening, uh, four of which probably were were alum from our school, our school was (laughs) tiny, okay? We're talking like, you know, 2,000 students, like one city block. I, to have a premiere at our college would sound sounds insane. I don't like where would they even have? No, shown it wasn't it? at the college. It was just in Portland, kind of hosted oh. by Concordia. <laughs> oh, well, what did, well, what does that mean? Hosted? I thought I felt like they had events at the campus. No, not this one. Not this. Okay, one. I was gonna say, you know, they could watch it, it in, in, yeah. in the fab maybe, or like uh, in the cafeteria. That would have been fun. <laughs> and I don't know if it was the world premiere, but it was it was definitely some sort of premiere, and they had like the filmmaker there and everything, but. We could have done I what mean, we did in East Hall, you know, with the fan yeah, club. That would have been it's true. It's where we it's watched uh, Stripes instead of Dirty Work. That should have been where the <laughs> premiere was. Yeah, I, I I will have to get some details and, and pass those along to you. But um, yeah, Anonymous, it, it, it exists. And it was a Shakespeare piece, so it got nominated for costume design. That's all I got. Two stars. It exists. We all gave our movies two stars. We did. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to uh, our featured review. And uh, apparently we picked the wrong movie to review because did you guys see that Venom made like 90 million at the box office this weekend? So, I mean, if we were going for clicks, we definitely picked the wrong movie. Um, but we were definitely not going for clicks here. We were going for for the, the love and passion behind a, a certain franchise that uh, came out with something new for the first time in a while. We watched The Many Saints of Newark. Antonio Soprano. I wonder if I can talk to you alone for a moment, Mrs. Soprano. On the basis of the Sanford Binet, he's high IQ. You can't prove it by me. He's got a D plus average. Well, he doesn't apply himself, but he is smart. The results tell us he's a leader. The prequel to The Sopranos TV show. All right, I'm not starting this one. It's one of you guys that are The Sopranos nuts. Which one wants to start? I'll start it because I I got Todd hooked into The Sopranos. I I watched it first. Okay, all right, Zach, tell us all about The Many Saints of Newark and what you thought. Okay, so The Many Saints of Newark is a prequel to The Sopranos. Um, It is set in the late 1960s. Um, in early 70s in New Jersey. And uh, it follows the Sopranos, the, the, the universe of the Sopranos, um, with characters that are sometimes seen on the show, but often, more oftentimes alluded to. So rather than this being a straightforward kind of prequel or origin story of young Tony Soprano, even though he's featured in the movie, the filmmakers have opted instead to make it about Christopher Malsanti's father, Dickie Malsanti, who is a crime boss in Newark in the uh, late 1960s. Um, 
Christopher is played by Michael Imperioli, and he actually opens the movie from the grave, talking about, uh, it's kind of introducing the movie and reminding us um, about uh, his fate, which is something that I'd forgotten. Actually, this movie is sort of interesting in the way that, um, you know, I had been watching The Sopranos uh, for many weeks leading up to this movie, and it felt like every episode that I didn't watch was referenced in this movie. It felt like I just, I kept throwing darts and I didn't hit the right ones, um, which is maybe one of my criticisms of the movie, which which I'll say in just a second. But anyway, the movie stars uh, Alessandro Nivola, who, by the way, I can never watch him without seeing him as George and Junebug. So this was one of the problems in the movie. I, I He's he's too polite to, to play a mobster, you know, and he's sort of a nice guy mobster in this movie anyway. He's Dickie Malsanti. And uh, as the movie opens, he is a soldier in the DeMeo crime family. His father, played by Ray Liotta, comes back with an Italian bride. Um, needless to say, there is uh, some fragmentation within this uh, in this crime family, and particularly within the leadership. Um, there is a character played by Leslie Odom Jr., who is uh, another foot soldier who the DeMeo family does not like because of his skin color. The movie is set up against the uh, backdrop of the Newark race riots in 1968. Which I think I applaud because one of the criticisms of The Sopranos, I think, is a valid criticism, is that it is a very white show. And there is, a, a, for, to its credit, it deals a lot with uh, uh, racism in the sense that the, all the Italian main characters are racist. So I like that this movie tried to bring in a different uh, viewpoint, tried to bring a little bit more diversity with the Leslie Odom Jr. character. Um, anyway, the story kind of goes on three different tracks. One track is the Dickie Malsanti story. He's kind of the main character, if, if we were to identify one one um he is kind of torn between loyalties to his family and his father uh versus kind of starting an empire of his own as it kind of fractures all in front of him we have another strand of the story which is young tony soprano who is dickie's uh nephew and he's played by michael gandolfini james gandolfini's son and we sort of see, you know, the the origins of how Tony Soprano got to be the way he was. We see him kind of get involved with small time crime. He, you know, uh, uh, hi hijacks an ice cream truck. He starts running a little racket at his Catholic school. We see him with young Jack April and a few other people. We also see young Polly, young Silvio, um, uh, and young, uh, I guess we can say, uh, young Pussy Buffoncero. I don't know if we have to edit that out. I don't think so. Um, no. But anyway, uh, so, and then the third track of this movie is uh, the the Newark Race Riots. And, and the, the Leslie Odom Jr. character, um, whose name is escaping me, Harold McBriar, who's a character never referenced on The Sopranos, but does play a significant role in the story because we sort of think that um, there are hits, there are whacks that are going to be made in this movie that maybe the Leslie Odom character uh, is involved in, and maybe he is. Um, so basically, the movie kind of sets up this question about uh, what ultimately happens to Dickie Malsanti. Why is he never really shown in the series of The Sopranos? And how does Tony sort of elevate uh, to the head of the crime family? Well, that's actually mostly answered in season one of The Sopranos. Um, you know, it was fun uh, seeing these characters uh, as, as younger uh, people. Um, in particular, I think the standout of the cast is Vera Farmiga as Livia Soprano, um, memorably played in the series by Nancy. Marchand. Um, going into the movie, I was a little skeptical about uh, Vera Farmiga. Maybe it was because of uh, our, re our uh, uh, deep dive of The Departed. Um, but she's excellent in this movie. I think she gets actually, um, Livia, uh, her mannerisms just right. She's like a good mixture of Nancy Marchand and the actress that they had play uh, younger Livia in the flashbacks in seasons one and two of The Sopranos. Um, she's great. Um, and I think um, Michael Gandolfini is great in this movie. Um, I think this movie has three different storylines and it really should have just focused on one and it really should have just been about young Tony. 
I don't care so much about Dickie Malsanti. I don't really care about these characters who are um, halfway referenced in dialogue, o- oblique dialogue in uh, in The Sopranos. Um, and uh, I really just wanted to see how every, every scene that Michael Gandolfini is in, I think he shines. I think he's a great actor. Not only does he look the part, but he has the same mannerisms. And I think, you know, he, he fundamentally understands the character that his father was trying to play. Um, I think the movie has kind of a weak understanding of how the mob works. Um, I don't know who this movie is really for, because if you're a Sopranos fan like I am, you're going to watch this movie and somewhat be disappointed by the lack of insight and really good dialogue and, and good scenes. Um, and you're going to think that there are individual episodes of The Sopranos that are better than this movie. On the other hand, if you're a novice to The Sopranos like Terry is and you've never really seen it, um, I think you're going to be confused by a lot of the details and you're not going to understand some of the um, ironic kind of richness that the movie tries to generate, particularly with, um, you know, the characters of Uncle Junior and Dickie and how these how that their actions have consequences even 30 years later uh, when the series begins. So um, I got to say, I'm, I'm fairly disappointed by this movie. I gave it two and a half stars. That being said, I don't want to be a hypocrite. This is probably the best screenplay that could have been devised for a Sopranos prequel. I couldn't have written anything better. I think they were up against an impossible challenge and I, I applaud them for their courage and ambition in making this movie. I just wish it could have been a, a sharper movie that was a little bit more focused on just Tony. All right. All right. So I'll go next because uh, you, you kind of referenced, you know, you're the expert. I'm the novice. So let me give my perspective here. Uh, yeah, I was lost for a lot of this movie because <laughs> it, 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 it expects you to understand everything that happened in The Sopranos. I got to watch the first episode before I, I watched it. I tried to at least get one in so I had some familiarity to something. Um. And it did help actually quite a bit because uh, especially as you, as you get going, the, the Corey Stoll character, uncle junior, he pops up prominently in the first episode as well as uh, the mother and things like that. So it, it gave me some context to a couple characters, but that was about it. So I had trouble really figuring out what all was going on with that said, it was interesting and I was engaged with it but I can't give it any more than two and a half stars until I actually see the Sopranos. Like it, it feels like it's one it's, it's like um, trying to rate uh, El Camino without seeing breaking bad. It, you can't, you can't judge one without understanding the other first. So that's about all I have to say. Now, Todd, you've seen the whole thing. What did you think? Uh, so I, I know, yeah, it's complicated. I, I'm not, I'm not, to be honestly, the biggest fan of the show. I think it's, it might be like a, a top five HBO show, but I'm, I'm not really sure. Zach's definitely a bigger fan. I don't think the movie is really Italian enough. Like, I feel like it, it takes a lot more from American Gangster than it does like any other sh- movie that actually inspired the show, which is strange. But what I like is that the movie has this big cinematic scope and look to it, which is something that most TV movie adaptations don't really ever have. But Having said that, it should have been like a side series. Like it doesn't have like the urgency of like a Goodfellas or something in a movie form, and it doesn't have a complete immersion in the material that you would get from watching the entire show. It's some sort of like screwy hybrid between the two, and it's only two hours long. Uh, I agree with Zach. Uh, Gandolfini is amazing, and he gets the mannerisms down completely that it, from his father. And the movie does sort of calm down when he shows up and becomes more part of the narrative, but. This is not how you do a prequel. Like the the people that are coming in are just like impersonating the actors that did it before him. And like like Silvio, like that was that was brutal. That was I don't know what the hell that guy was doing. Awful. But the guy that guy from First Cow, like yeah, he was he was awful. But um, 
like, uh, like, okay, but so it's like, do you think like De Niro's Vito Corleone actually would become Marlon Brando's Corleone? Like, you never would, but that's why his performance is so great. He doesn't have the constraints of what the character looks like and acts like, and he's able to do his own thing. And no character in this movie was like that. Uh, the yeah, so it, it's essentially like a dress up or something. Like, I remember, I remember while I was watching a documentary with Kevin Smith talking about Jane Silent Bob reboot. And he was saying, like, when he was making that movie, it was him just, like, retreading old material, being able to unwrap his toys and play with them again. And that's honestly what I feel like David Chase is doing here, because every character comes up that, that you think could possibly come up. In the past, like, with the Sex and the City movies, or, like, the Deadwood movie, or, like, Terry saying El Camino, or the 24 movies, or Prison Break, The Final Break, it feels like an extended episode. And this is not that. It, but that, those those were popular because they were, like, episodes, and they, they were serve the fans and serve like they were also sequels instead of prequels which i think it is something to say about it too true but i i, I think that the director is a problem like this needed a better director not the director of thor 2 and terminator genesis <laughs> and I, I i think it also needed a oh, new my own. i think it needed a new screenwriter like I, what, what i i thought it needed somebody who like wasn't a part of the show who like idolized it and who could come in and modernize it the way like ryan johnson did with star wars or something like that mm-hmm. like take the characters Bring something new, please the fans, but make it standalone. Because nothing about this movie is standalone. It's like inside jokes and shameless fan service, like revisiting every significant character or insignificant character. It's like a reunion special. And I mean, I could see how that could work, and but I don't think it really does here. And, and it suffers the same fate that David Chase's other movie, Not Fade Away, did. I think it's kind of boring and it's immediately forgettable. And I'm giving it two stars. Yeah, and and like I I understand Terry's uh, feelings about the movie, and I gotta say I'm a huge fan of The Sopranos, and there were some details that I had actually forgotten that had um, a lot of relevance. There's a big reveal at the end of this movie, the identity of a particular hitman, which is supposed to come as a shock. Um, <laughs> but if you're not familiar with a few of the, uh, in, especially some of the episodes in season four. It just, even for me, I was watching, I was like, okay, that's the assassin. Great. No, who really cares? But then I was reading about it and I was like, oh, okay. I, there was an episode where, you know, Christopher does kind of go back into the history of this character. And now it kind of makes sense maybe why this was a big, bigger incident than the than the movie would lead lead us on to believe. Um, I don't know. I, I think the problem with this is that they, they tried to have it both ways. They tried to make it for me. They tried to make it for Terry. And the, the, the flaw, the fatal flaw in that is by making the character, by making the main character someone who's essentially unrelated to the show, which is the, you know, the, the Dickie Malsanti character. You, I think the expectation was you didn't have to have any real knowledge of the Sopranos to understand the Dickie Malsanti character because there's not a lot of pretext with it. Um, it's just, it, I don't know, it feels really disconnected. And, and pretty much any scene with him feels like it's totally removed from the movie. You're kind of right, Todd. It feels like it's trying to create this origin story for someone who doesn't have a lot of significance in the world of, of the Sopranos. But that being said, the scenes with Tony were great. And I don't understand why you couldn't have made an origin story about Tony to make novice fans of the show or people not familiar with it really appreciate it and, and, and see his evolution from this, you know, kind of somewhat innocent, somewhat naive, you know, kid growing up in, in Newark to being someone who's kind of hardened in the mob. That that was fascinating, you know, like the scene with him in the in the guidance counselor I thought was pretty good and the scene where he's, uh, you know, uh, hijacking the, the ice cream truck. Like, Michael Gandolfini is amazing in this movie. I wonder if it's that they didn't have faith in him because he's not a trained actor. I don't know, but for whatever reason, um, it's it's kind of a loss. 
it, it's like they almost wanted to try and make it something else and not and not just a retread but they had to i don't know also what was up with ray liotta playing dual roles that was weird yeah it was weird and distracting <laughs> I thought Ray Liotta was narrating the movie too. It sounded so much like him, but it was I thought so too. Curioli. I, was like, oh. I was just waiting for as far back as I can remember. I've always wanted to be a gangster. Like that was the one thing that was missing from the narration. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you also, Todd. That the the impersonation of Silvio was awful. That was like <laughs> la- like not even Saturday Night Live level. It was just comically bad. The hair, like what? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was it was awful. I encourage everybody, though, to listen to the Talking Sopranos podcast hosted by uh, the, the guy who plays uh, uh, Bobby Boclieri and, and Michael Imperioli, because last week they actually had a fan question from uh, Lawrence, Kansas. And what I like about that show is that the guy who plays uh, Bobby Boclieri refers to every every fan question that comes from the Midwest. He says, oh, you must be in the witness protection program. He thinks that anyone who lives in the Midwest is it has to be in the witness protection program, or else why would they live here? So I don't know. Just a shout out it. to that. It's a, it's it. a cool podcast. It's fun. Cool. All right. Well, uh, two from Todd, two and a half from Zach and I. It is in theaters now. It is also on HBO Max. And Terry, did any of you see this in the theaters, or did you HBO oh, Max it? I didn't. Oh, I saw it on HBO Max. Well, I was going to say, Terry, is that like I think the next. The next 43 times I win trivia, I should just assign you two episodes of The Sopranos each time. Because I mean, I, I unequivocally I, believe it's the best TV show of all time. I, I, I think really like the first episode and I want to keep going. It's just the time. <laughs> I don't have a ton of time to do it, but I, I will try and keep going on it. You can skip season six. Season six is, is terrible. That's that's the worst part of the show. Breaking Bad never had a bad season. Sopranos had some bad se- a bad season. I will will keep going on that as long as you keep going on Dexter. How about that? Okay. Deal. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is our our featured review, Many Saints in Newark. Let's move on to the main topic of the day, which is a deep dive. It was Todd's turn to pick our deep dive, and we're going back 15 years to the 15th anniversary, almost to the day of the release of Little Children. It's the a life of unhappiness. Aaron's been telling me about his new friend, Lucy. She sounds like a sweet little girl. What's her mother like? Little children. The, uh, the... Uh, <laughs> film written and directed by Todd Field. Oh, not Schwarzenegger. Okay. Not Schwarzenegger, but he did announce it great at the Golden Globes that year uh, as it was up for Best Picture Drama. Okay, so I am hosting trivia on this one, which it's been a while since I've been the sole host of trivia. So I think Todd's the expert on this if there is, if there is one. So we're going to start with Zach and Todd's going to unplug and we'll go from there. So Todd's gone. There we go. All right. There are nine questions and 13 points. I believe, I believe 13 points. All right. I just remembered I have to write this down. See, it's been a while. It has been a while. Okay. 
tough movie to find trivia questions for. I was, you it, know, I, if I know I'm getting asked trivia questions, I always like pay special attention to some extra details. This movie had like no extra details. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so uh, there, there's a mix of there's addresses. Did you ask? Are there questions about addresses? No ad, no address questions. I couldn't there's keep a, track of all their. There's addresses. a mix of like of like details and and just how well did you pay attention to the all right movie all right so i'm probably gonna fail number one it has nothing to do with any of that uh number one little children had a limited release on october 6th and an expanded release on october 20th for two points what was number one at the box office on each of those weekends oh god i have no in 2006 october 2006 i will give you a hint okay we saw both of them together. <laughs> uh, was it that stupid young Hannibal movie? <laughs> I don't think that was those things. No, it wasn't. No. We didn't see that one. Together. I think we did saw we saw that one together. Did we? we? Okay. Yeah. I don't well, think it wasn't we did. that. Okay. It wasn't that. And so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't cars. That uh, no. Okay. Uh, it was the departed and the prestige. There we go. One great, the other not so great. Yeah. I'm glad we're not deep diving the prestige. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. Uh, all right, next question. Uh, this one is worth two points as well. Uh, in the first park scene, what snack did Sarah forget, and what did Lucy end up eating? Uh, goldfish, right? She ended up eating goldfish, yeah. Um, some, some sort of cheese snack? Cheese mm, something? I forgot no. the rice cakes. Rice cakes. How could she? Next question. What's the first thing that Brad's son does when mom comes home? Uh, takes off his jester's hat. That is correct. Uh, where, oh, yeah. Where is Brad supposed to go each night and why? Uh, to the library to study for the bar exam. That is correct. That's too easy of a question. Uh, I, that was I, I, As I was getting there, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was too easy of a question. That's okay. Uh, what's the name of the football team? The Guardians. Correct. Uh, what does, uh, this is worth two points. What does slutty K have a thing for? Uh, kitchen utensils. Yes. And spanking. Mmm. No. No, the second one is, is dressing like a little girl with balloons. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Anyways, all right. Uh, next question. What's wrong with the laundry room? Uh, I can't remember. I don't know. No, no mattress. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, next question. This one's worth two points. What are the two books mentioned that the book club reads? Madame Bovary and Crime and Punishment. Those are both correct. And the last question. What is the last word of the movie? Sorry? Somewhere. Hmm. Okay. It's like because it, it's like Larry's saying it's like there this will happen somewhere or something like that. I was not familiar with Larry having the last line in the movie. I thought I thought it was Kate Winslet saying I'm sorry. Or maybe it maybe it was the narrator saying it in in like it, yeah. But it, it was in reference to Larry, like because it the last thing that happens in the movie is Larry is driving Ronnie to the hospital. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, well, I didn't do terrible. That, you didn't that, do terrible. You got eight points. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I can live with that. All right. Todd's back now. All right. I'm like the so, 49ers. I'm going to lose with dignity. 
We'll see. Uh, 14 points possible. Zach got eight. It's not like the refs are going to give this to Todd, you know, like other college football games. All right. Let's see how you do. Number one, Little Children had a limited release on October 6th and an expanded release on October 20th. What was number one at the box office each of those weekends? Worth two points, two different movies. Uh, Unlimited on October 6th. Yeah, so October 6th. Yeah, and October 20th of 2006. What was number one at the box office those two weekends? I'm going to say the the departed. I know it came out like late September. That had to have been up there. It actually and, came out October 6th, and that was number oh, one that weekend. So okay, there correct. you go. And, uh, man, I don't know. You already got more points than uh, than Zach did, and I gave him a hint. Um, my <laughs> yeah, hint was, was that, that Zach and I both or saw both of these together. Well, that doesn't help me. Yeah, that doesn't help you. The other one is the prestige. The prestige, okay. All right, next one's worth two points. Uh, what snack did Sarah forget in the first park scene, and what did Lucy end up eating? Uh, she, like, she she ended up, or like, rice cakes. Rice cakes is what she forgot. And the, Yeah, but she ended up eating, like, the, it was a bag of something, like, almonds or something goldfish goldfish damn it that's funny because zach got goldfish and you got rice cakes yeah what's the first thing brad's son does when mom comes home uh like he runs to her like uh, completely abandons brad because they were like talking about the the like how the hug or whatever and then he's like they know just like yeah it's like, it was like he never existed once when she got home or something. Yes, but the thing that triggered that was throwing away the jester hat. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> I guess you can... <laughs> never mind. Okay, next question. Uh, this is a really easy one, and it's worth two points. Where is Brad supposed to go each night and why? He's supposed to go to the library to study for the bar. That is correct. Uh, what is the name of the football team? The retired... No, it's something... The team, uh... not the league. Oh. Shit, I don't remember. The uh, the uh, now new name of the Cleveland baseball franchise, the Guardians. Uh, okay. Uh, worth two points. What does Slutty K have a thing for? Like, underwear? Is that what you're asking? No. That's what the husband has a thing for. Not slutty K. Like, there, there, there is a, a, a moment where it's like, she seemed to have a thing for this and this. <laughs> I don't remember. Zach, I think you're going to win this. Uh, and I kitchen utensils and dressing like a girl with balloons. See, I said, uh -huh. I said spanking, and she definitely has a thing for spanking. Yes, but the it, it's... Well, it was... Technically, there were three things, but one of them was it was kitchen utensils, spatulas, and dressing up in little girls' costumes and with the balloons. With I, the, I, balloons. the balloons yeah. is, a, is a good detail. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's wrong with the laundry room? 
Yeah, this was an oddly worded question. I, I didn't get it. I feel like you could word it's it the a exact little question that's asked in the movie. Okay. What's wrong with the laundry room? Can I um, reword it? Oh, it makes too much noise. Co can I reword it? Sure. Go ahead why, and reword why it. Why can't they do the nasty in the laundry room? Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't remember the detail. All right. He's not going to get it. Yeah, okay. No mattress. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Because he asks, what's wrong with the laundry room? She says, no mattress. Yeah, that's why they go to the attic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question worth two points. What are the two books mentioned that the book club reads? Uh, Madame Bovary and War and Peace. Madame Bovary is correct. The other one is wrong Crime and Punishment. Wrong Russian novel. <laughs> oh, okay. I knew that. <laughs> and the last question uh which is only worth one point you're down three uh is what is the last word of the movie is that by the narrator i think it's by the narrator it's odd that you have this as a question but we still don't know we don't know who said this line i'm pretty sure it's well that's because we, we the narrator it has to be the narrator it has to be the narrator someday Oh, oh my god you should I'm, almost give him point for that I'm give well i'm giving him one and a half points for that um, what is it it's somewhere some i was gonna say somewhere i knew it was some like 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 tangent thing he's going off on yeah because it's like right when the like the camera gets to the top of the house yeah yeah know. you were you were so much closer than zach so you get a point and a half which means you only lose by a point and a half 13 or no eight to six and a half Wow. Yeah, I, I I I watched a movie on Wednesday. It was I mean it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a it's been a few days. I watched it yesterday. Okay, so Todd, you're the one that picked Little Children. Uh, tell us uh, about about it and your experience with it. Uh, well, Little Children, I had as my number twenty of all time, and because it's amazing, it's um, yeah, written and directed by Todd Field. Who, which was one of my most anticipated movies ever because I loved In the Bedroom as, almost as much as Zach did. And I watched it for the first time before uh, my very first Sonics game in the, you know, October of, evidently, of 2006. And um, yeah, it's about, it's a, a small sub suburban town. There's a sort of interconnecting stories. One of a stay-at-home mom who is... Uh, unhappy with her life a state there's a stay-at-home dad who's unhappy with his life there's a convicted sex offender who's getting out of prison and there is a, a retired cop who has has uh, issues with the sex offender and uh, with a lot of other things um i don't know what it is about this movie it's got this like really uh distinct style to it and i i don't know anybody that doesn't necessarily like the movie even people that don't watch these kind of movies at all were, are really engaged with this movie i'm not sure what it is i've i've always been super drawn to it i've seen it i don't know probably between five and ten times i can't really say for sure but i think it is really rewatchable it, it, it's got like a really dark sense of humor and it's just a it's a really good story i've never read the book i feel like that would kind of ruin it for me but i uh yeah, I think the movie is a masterpiece. All right, Zach, how about you? I know you're the one that I think you introduced me to in the bedroom. I hadn't seen that until I until I met you. And then and then this one came out. I don't remember if we saw this in theaters together or not. No, 
but no. I think I saw it in theaters. But anyways, tell us tell us what uh, your experience is with it. Listen, I am I am the John the Baptist of uh, in the bedroom. Okay, I evangelize people within the bedroom. So there you are, many, are the many John people. the Baptist in the bedroom. I mean, people would come <laughs> to my dorm room and steal in the bedroom from me. Shout out to the holies who did that, jerks. Um, anyway, I would have watched it with them. Is my point. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, okay, you, you got to understand something. I love in the bedroom. It's my number three movie of all time, which is better than number twenty. Uh, for, for little children. So I'm the bigger Todd Field fan, I guess. I don't know. I, I also love Twister. Anyway, you got to understand that, you know, Todd Field is a recluse. You know, he lives on some island, probably smokes a lot of pot, doesn't do interviews. So like when word got out that his next movie was going to be Little Children, I ran to the freaking bookstore and I got that book. Okay. I read the book like right away. I read it summer 2006. When the trailer dropped, I thought that was one of the best trailers I'd ever seen. In fact, summer of 2006 was all about rewatching every day two trailers, the trailer to Little Children and the trailer to The, the Departed. I don't know if all you all millennials out there remember, you know, apple.com slash trailers. That was my number one destination for great trailers in like, you know, <laughs> 720p, right? And I watch that trailer all the time. I think I, it is actually, I think it holds up really well. It's a great trailer. Okay, so this movie came out. I saw it. You didn't see it with me, Terry. I saw it, I, I saw it the first show. The first Friday, it came out at Fox Tower 10. I skipped my Friday class to go see it. I don't know why I didn't invite you. I should have. Anyway. should have. Yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, okay, so I saw it, and I knew I liked it. I knew that it was going to be impossible for it to ever reach the heights of In the Bedroom, and I was just setting myself up for disappointment. I liked it. I didn't love it. I, I had some issues with it. Part of the issue I had with it is almost I felt stylistically it was too similar to In the Bedroom. Like he used the same typeface uh, for the title Little Children. And I thought some of the shots were like really familiar. It was kind of like New England, uh, sort of the same sort of dynamic. And what I really loved about the book was that the book had this kind of comic edge to it. The book was a lot more satirical and kind of biting and making fun of suburbanites. Whereas the movie version was, I think, very laser focused and how these people are unhappy and unsatisfied with their lives. And but it didn't have the same sort of gravitas as in the bedroom because it wasn't about people that resort to killing other people because their, their lives are so unhappy and grief filled. I've always had mixed feelings about it. I put it in my top 10 list of 2006. I do own it. I have rewatched it several times. And I do have to say, watching it last night, uh, it does not hold up. Uh, and and we'll, we'll get into why. But I, I was very disappointed in it. Um, you know, this was at a time when everyone was talking about Kate Winslet. How come she hasn't won an Oscar yet? She was nominated for Best Actress. Jackie Earl Haley was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I rooted for this movie at the Oscars. Um, it didn't, it didn't, uh, it was on a lot of critics top 10 lists. It's, I understand what the movie's trying to do. I think, um, it's an interesting movie. Todd Field is a great director and there are great little moments in this movie. Uh, in fact, one of them was one of Terry's uh, trivia questions about the jester's hat. There are some details in this movie that they, they have to be, you know, from real life because they are so specific and so pointed and so real that you, I don't know how you can make something up, like that the kid takes off the jester's hat every time he sees his mom. That was a great detail, great little detail sprinkled throughout the movie. As a whole, it doesn't add up, uh, in, in part because I don't understand uh, having the two different, and, and it's oddly similar to the criticism I have of the many saints of Newark, which is that I don't know why it couldn't have just been about Brad and Sarah, and I don't know why the Jackie Earl Haley character had to play such a strong role in the movie when they don't really seem 
to exist in the same world. I mean, they, they, they do. They do. They live in the same neighborhood, but they seem like two completely different stories. And I'm not really sure why they never even really intersect at the end of the movie that well. So that was one of my biggest issues with it, among others, um, watching it again. However, Todd Field needs to come out of retirement. You know, he needs to. I don't know who's someone that's come out of retirement. I, I, let, let's let's get Todd Field back. Let's give the man, you know, his palette, his paintbrush. Let's let him do some magic uh, and make a, a great movie again. Obviously set in New England with that same typeface. But I want him back. And uh, I will say this movie was a disappointment upon rewatch. Well, Jack Haley's character isn't really in the movie that much. He doesn't show up for like almost an hour. And he really isn't that big of a role. But he's just another character in the lives of the that's suburb. That's, I don't know. Terry, yeah. Terry, what say you? Break so, I, yeah, I watched it yesterday, and I don't think I had seen it since I watched it in theaters when it first came out. Um, I ended, I, I had to go back and look. I, I gave it three and a half stars. I made it my number three of 2006 behind United 93 and The Departed. Um, and I really didn't remember much about the movie at all. I remembered the football scene and I remembered the sex scene in the laundry room. And that was pretty much all I remembered about the movie. And Jackie or Earl Haley was in it. And I, Oh, and I remembered how, how his ending comes about. Um, and that was about it. And then I, and so I watched it kind of with fresh eyes and it is a fascinating watch. 15 years later because it felt like it was like hitting on topics that have become real hot button topics and hot button issues now um, where you have a, a disgraced retired cop as a main character and, and really and for someone who used police brutality um, o- overextended and, and had an incident of that. And because of that, he's now retired. And now you're seeing his life after that. You have um, a child predator sex offender who is uh, who is a main character and you're humanizing that as well. And it's a I, I will say it is a, a viewpoint you never get uh, of all this, where these people who are looked at in today's society as just these horrible, evil villains and and it's and it's humanizing their stories. I thought that was fascinating, and I think it's it's something that's worth exploring in today's culture. So, and with that, I thought it was a fascinating watch. Another thing, this movie has so many layers to it that I was I had forgotten about and was really impressed by too. And it, with with the relationships and the and all the relationships and how they all play together and. Um, and you've got the narrator that's kind of helping guide you through the the random little side glances that you sometimes miss in movies. Um, I I thought it held up really well, and I thought it was kind of a an interesting, refreshing take on on some things that are really prevalent now. Well, I think that, one- that helps. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the problems I have with it, rewatching it 15 years later, I didn't recognize this at the time or even in the years subsequently watching it. But this time, what really s- struck me that I didn't like is I feel like this movie is trying to do many things that other movies have done better. Like this movie to me 
totally, I don't know how I didn't see this in 2006, but like it totally had an American beauty vibe. Okay. The idea that, you know, these people are living in suburbia, they're unhappy, they're sexually frustrated, but then they find rejuvenation in some sort of passion. In the case of, uh, you know, Kate Winslet, it's joining the book club. And in the case of the dude, it's the, what's his name? Sorry, Brad, Brad, Brad. Brad. It's the joining the Guardians football team. Um, that felt very uh, American Beauty. And yet this movie is kind of lifeless. It, it didn't have the same sort of like excitement or urgency as uh, American Beauty. And then the scene, and then I have to say this, the scene where she talks about Madame Bovary. Okay, this is supposed to be one of the emotional high points of the movie. It's supposed to be a scene where, you know, for once she's able to break free of this claustrophobic, you know, tightly wound existence that she has. And she's talking about how Madame Bovary basically represents her life. That is like almost word for word the same monologue that Virginia Madsen and Paul Giamatti have in Sideways. It's the exact same shit, except not as well done. It's like I think it's pretty damn good though. I I I noticed <laughs> I've always noticed that it's the same that it's almost the same thing. The same beats. In Sideways did it it's better. Really effective. I mean, it's a good scene, but Sideways did it better. Like, that's the problem with this movie. Like, it, it deals with these themes that are, yeah, I mean, and, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of in the bedroom in this movie, too. It's just, I can't help but think of movies that were more exciting, took more risks, were a little bit more daring, maybe had a more subversive sense of humor. This movie doesn't have a sense of humor. There's nothing funny in this movie. This oh, movie this was movie dull. Is, this movie has a really dark sense of humor. And I don't know how you could say it doesn't take risks. The guy castrates himself. <laughs> well... Okay, but like even the scene. Okay, so Todd, you're telling me you watched this movie. I've forgotten about this scene. You're telling me you watched the movie and you watched Jackie Early Haley on his first date with Jane Addams and you didn't think about happiness. You didn't think about Todd Salons and how Todd Salons treated the issue of pedophilia was so much. I mean, he treated it as something subversive, something daring, something bold. Sure. This, this movie treats it as a plot point. Like, and it doesn't really ever ever address the character. Well, happiness is more of an anthology, though. It's not. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, happiness did, did the same thing. It had all these characters that live in this in this sequestered. No, but he universe. was the main character in that part of the story. Like the the date scene is that that, that I don't know. I mean that date the date scene is somewhat similar to happiness, but that's not. I don't think that's what it. I don't think that's the point. Oh, I mean, well, I, I get that. I just the, my personal problem is that I watch that scene. And I think. I liked happiness better. I I like Dylan Baker's portrayal uh, better. I like Jane Adams better in that movie. And you know, I actually you know the date scene's fine for what it's worth. It just was kind of lifeless compared to the the, the risks. If we're talking about risks taken, happiness takes much more risks than this movie. But it's a different movie. I get it. It's not fair to compare it. I'm just saying that upon rewatch, especially in the last 15 years, I can just think of you know cultural products that have maybe done a better job of what this movie is trying to do. I don't know. And American Beauty is a, a big one. That wasn't the last 15 years. Well, I get that. I get that. But, but but watching it again, I couldn't help but think of American Beauty a lot, which I did. For whatever reason, I, I blocked out of my brain when I saw it in Well, every movie in, set in suburbia is going to eventually be compared to American Beauty. And that's not necessarily fair because it's not the only movie that could take place in that scenario. And, and I also think it's not fair to say that just because there are aspects of this movie that other films did better. It can't be good. Oh, I get that. Yeah, I, I, I get that. It's just, I don't know. My mind drifted during the movie, in part because I think the movie's kind of slow and it takes its time, which Todd Field is, a, is good at doing that. I, I applaud the movie for taking its time and taking the time to develop these characters that are that do have fairly complex storylines. But like, 
I don't know. Their their motivations are also sort of underdeveloped. Like you're really telling me that the biggest problem that these characters face is the fact that one of them, you know, lives in this big house and can't use her master's degree in English literature for anything, and the other one can't pass the bar exam. I mean, it just it doesn't seem like the stakes are high enough for these characters, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I suck. I... It's Todd's 20th favorite movie. I don't want to shit on it too much, but can I just <laughs> read a list of other movies that Todd has ranked below it? Uh, he thinks that this is a better movie than The Wrestler, than Mulholland Drive, than Almost Famous, than American History X, than Raging Bull, and Matchstick Men. I mean, that is pretty wild. It's a good list. It's a good list. Good list to be on. Well, I will I will say I mean in my top 100 my my top 4 were set. My 5 through like 40 could have been in any order kind of. So this is where it was on that day. All right. Well, let's get into our next part of this, which is our Mount Rushmore for uh, <laughs> disembodied for voices. Children. Yeah. This is this is an interesting one. So this is one of the most intriguing aspects of this movie is the third person narrator that is just this disembodied voice that that walks us through the entire movie. And so we decided to do a Mount Rushmore of third person narration in movies. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. <clears throat> Are we and agreeing I on this one? Apparently Zach doesn't like it very much. <laughs> No, I hated the narration of this movie. I hated it back in 06. I thought it was a stupid choice that Todd Field made. This is so not I, an episode of Frontline, okay? <laughs> I so I guess I guess that. we're not uh I guess we, we can put it there. The... I don't know. All right, let's, let's let's hear what else we got. Let's put or all right. Or let's say we're putting it there. And let's see how that sits as we go through. Okay. Uh I'll go first on this. Um and and get get the easy one out of the way. I should have worn the shirt, but I'm wearing I'm wearing the Mariners instead. But um, Sam Elliott and the Big Lebowski. Oh, that was predictable. That yeah. was like that was like plus one sixty five. I that mean, he mad. he's Take he's just that. It, it it's just great, and he does appear in the movie briefly, sitting at the bar drinking sarsaparilla, but uh, he has nothing to do with the movie except for just kind of narrating what's going on. So that that's my pick, the Big Lebowski. Zach, I'll let you go next. All right. I had some controversial choices because I didn't really understand this list. So I, I have what? one. <laughs> You're picking one. You gotta pick one that counts. <laughs> but I have I have three. I have one that unequivocally counts, which I'll say in a second. But can we count for okay? So here's my questions. Can the voice be a can the voice be God? Because if if it can be God, then I would go with It's a Wonderful Life. Because Clarence and God have a conversation. But then Clarence appears as a character later in the movie. So, But God's not, not narrating. God is talking like... to Clarence. They're having a, a dialogue. It's not, it's not disembodied voices. It's God, the person. God yeah, that's why it's controversial. I get God that. is I, a spirit or something. In that. I, sh they show him talking. <laughs> no, it's a star. It's a little blinking yeah. star. He, exactly. he, is, he has played a He's a character in the movie. So okay, no. so yeah, I he's get a character that. in the plot. I get that. I get that. If in he the has other... to not be a character in the plot. I know, I know. That's why I can't honestly say that. The other one that I want to say is Ricky Jay and Magnolia. 
but I think he's only in the first 20 minutes of the movie. <laughs> like, I love that opening narration. We're talking about all, all the coincidental shit that happens. You know, the kid that like shoots, you know, the, no, the mom that shoots, the, tries to shoot the dad and he actually hit, she's kids, the kid who's jumping off the building in a suicide attempt, but he wouldn't have killed himself if he hadn't been shot by his mom. Like that's, that's a, that's great uh, uh, voiceover narration. But I actually I, had Magnolia written down. Okay. As, well, as a possibility. then I'm going to go with that. There we go. I don't think Ricky Jay appears in that movie. Kurt is too busy uh, filming on, on the set of Spanish Pantalones to appear in uh, Magnolia. So I'm going with Ricky Jay and Magnolia. I have another one, though, I'll mention later. This was, this is actually a hard a hard list to actually come up with, I thought. Todd, what did you have? Or what do you got? Um, well, I have five written down, that, including little children. The one that I, I, that I, that I would, that came to mind was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which is narrated by Kurt Russell. He is in the movie, but he, oh, he's not yeah. narrating it as the stuntman. He's narrating it as just some, like, third person. So, and I, I think it works really well in the second half of the movie, especially. Like, what, whatever Rick Dalton's up to, it's narrated by Kurt Russell, and it's kind of awesome. That's a good one. That's a good one. Can we say the most random narration ever is Samuel Jackson narrating in Glorious Bastards? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then, I I remember that was like one of the well, biggest things that only, bothered he's me about that movie. like the the like the movie, right? He's narrating like the Nazi movie. Isn't that what it is? No, it was like it, it, there's like a, at one point there's like a cut scene where like in the middle of a World War II film they bring out like 70s title cards and Samuel Jackson starts talking. Like what the hell is going on? It didn't make any sense. See, what I like about Ricky Jay as a narrator in Magnolia is that he gives his opinion. He says, it is the opinion of this narrator that coincidences are to be taken seriously. I don't see a lot of narrators giving their opinions on shit. So I like a, you know, a narrator who's prepared to take a stand. Well, and, and that's Arrested Development. If there was an Arrested Development movie, that would be my choice. Because Ron Howard definitely puts himself in the, in the movie by the narration. <laughs> All right. What were your other your other ones you had down? Okay, I, I had uh, the Age of Innocence, and the one I was gonna maybe go with was Babe because I I, I like the narrator in that too. Oh, good call on that. Um, and then I had both the Jungle Book and Hercules. Although I don't remember if Hercules actually had narration. I think they just had a, a Greek chorus. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I couldn't really think of a whole lot else. I had Barry Lyndon. Okay. Uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, and oh. the one I I also thought I was going to go with that is similar to Little Children's narration is Five Hundred Days of Summer, when it starts like breaking down the different like segments. Oh of yeah, that is a good one. That's a good pick. That I would almost put as our as our agreement because that, that that's really good narration. That's almost like this movie, but I think does it better. So honorable mention on the Mount Rushmore. The, the the William Howard Taft of our Mount Rushmore is uh, 500 Days of Summer. <laughs> why, is, why is it William Howard Taft? Because he's the fifth president that runs at the Nationals games. Like, it's the four guys on Mount Rushmore and then Taft. Oh, that is that is such a Terry reference, man. It is. It totally is. But that's You've why. mentioned it before. We have so mentioned it okay. before, and you said the exact same thing. I was just going to say, I was going to say, is narrator <laughs> fat? Is that why you got stuck in a bathtub or something? <laughs> Uh, no, the Nationals games like they have like the sausage race, except it's the president's race with 
with Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, Teddy, and Taft. I was, how is Taft ever going to win a race? I mean, I guess it's he to, wins more know, than Teddy food. does because that's kind of the thing is Teddy never wins. These are these are not great uh, race uh, figures, you know. If we're, <laughs> I mean, maybe pick you know like uh, a young Ronald Reagan or Gerald Ford or something. Let's let's not pick the fat ones. I'd I'd go with a six four honest Abe over all of them. Anyways, that this is this has gone downhill <laughs> quick. Okay, <laughs> let's let's recast little children. Uh, all right, we've got a list here uh, that we're going going to go through a list of characters. Uh, this should be fun. Um, Todd, you can go first, and we're going to start with Sarah, originally played by Kate Winslet. What do you got? I, I think this is fairly recastable. I'm in and in, in this setting, I would like this to be some sort of Greta Gerwig role. Like she normally has a little bit more comedy to her movies, but I think that 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 this could be absolutely something she could shine doing. I could see that. I could see that. All right, Zach. Uh, I went with Shailene Woodley for a similar reason because I think she could play someone who ostensibly has a master's degree in English, and you know. While we're on the subject, uh, she may be a part of a TV show that I also thought about a lot during watching this movie again. Maybe it'll influence the rest of my list, like Tenet influenced the Mission Impossible list. But I'm just saying there are way a lot of similarities between Little Children and Big Little Lies, which I think influences why Todd likes this movie so much. All right. Well, my my Sarah, it was like the first name I thought of. And I'm like, well, let's see who, who was a similar age when this came out. Did you know that Kate Winslet was only 31 when this movie was made? That's older than I would have thought she was. Well, I mean, she just it, it you just forget how long she had been around uh, and how young she was when she started. But um, same age as she was at the time. Definitely fits the, the same vibe. I went with uh, Mia Wasikowska. What's she been doing? She she hasn't been around in a while. She hasn't done much recently, but I think she'd be a mm. she'd be a good pick. Let me think. Was her, her, what's her last movie? That Guillermo del Toro movie or something? Crimson Peak. Yeah. It might have been that was a while ago, though. I thought she did that, that movie was like where 2017. Like walked across the desert or something. Wasn't there something like that? Let's see, like in there. Australia or something. That was tracked. That was even before. I was like 2013. Um. Let's bring her out of retirement. She man. was she was her in the devil field. all the time last year. Oh wow. Bergman Island. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that a little bit. I remember that movie vaguely. Yeah. I don't really remember her in it. We reviewed it. We did, but I don't remember her in it. But then thought, uh she's she, got was she the girlfriend of one of Batman? I think so. I yeah. think so. Did you guys um, ever watch the HBO series In Treatment? No, no. Gabriel Byrne. I I rewatched that during the pandemic, and uh, she was great on that show. She plays like this troubled teenager. She's the best part of that show, and I think that's the show that kind of launched her her stardom right before Kids Are All Right and uh, Alice. I, I'd also, love to bring her back. She's great. She's in a movie. She's in a movie this year that's been making the um the uh, festival runs. It's called Bergman Island. Oh with right, yeah, yeah. The, Mia, the Mia, Mia Hansen love movie. Yeah, yeah. I definitely yeah, want to see that. She's in that. And uh, and she's got another one coming out next year. So she's still working. It's just you don't necessarily see her. But yeah, that that's my pick. These are all good picks. I dig it. 
And and the one thing I thought of is once Todd said Greta Gerwig, I went, well, why don't we just go with, you know, the new Kate Winslet, which is Saoirse Ronan, but I think she's still a little young to be able to play her. Yeah. I like our picks better. I do too. Three for three. All right. With a solid start. All right. How about the big brain on Brad? Uh, big brain on Brad. Patrick Wilson's part in uh, this. Hawaiian burger. <laughs> big Kahuna burger. I just realized Patrick Wilson's in two movies with a castration. Or <laughs> that almost year castration. Too, right? yeah. Isn't it the same year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, the year of Patrick Wilson castrations. Okay. That was I saw that at the end of my sophomore year, the day we got back from Europe, Terry. Where were you? We should have seen that shit together. I'm looking forward to that shit a lot. And that's like that's in Adam's top 100, is it not? No. Oh, it like it should have been. Should be. That's a, yeah. such an Adam movie. All right, Todd, who do you have as the new Brad? Um, well, I I wanted with somebody who could be like I don't know, look really mopey but also be like super athletic cuz he's got to, you know, have, you know, do you know crunches and you know light running and see like it seemed like he could be a former high school quarterback so i went with army hammer i think it's a classic army hammer kind of vibes to the, in this role a pre-canceled army hammer yeah yeah and assuming he could be more than wooden i've never liked army hammer <laughs> well. like in any like the winklevi was like the perfect role for him because he didn't have to really emote um did you ever see him in uh sorry you got the wrong sorry wrong number what was the sorry to uh, bother you sorry to bother you that may have been his best performance yeah that was he was good it, it, that was his most out there he ever went yeah yeah for sure all right zach what do you got for brad well thank you todd because that introduces my choice perfectly i wrote down the words mopey and athletic that is amazing <laughs> and if i'm gonna have a movie with shailene woodley why not go with her husband aaron Rodgers? yeah there I mean, you the go. guy wants to go to hollywood he's not interested in this season although i think he just beat the steelers today but listen he's gonna retire soon let's get them in a movie together and uh, let's make some movie history he's not hosting jeopardy he's got to move on in his life which is sad you know um, but uh, I think I think he'd be perfect in this role. I think he's got to get shorter hair, though. I don't know. He does have one going out to a former best friend who just took his rate and gave it away. Have you guys seen that that commercial? No. It's a, it's the State about. Farm commercial where that he's also playing like the singer songwriter. Is that the William Howard Taft of State Farm commercials? Sure, sure. <laughs> You've never brought that up on the show before. I don't know what that I totally is. brought up brought I, up that I, Taft I is if we ha, if we have a fifth about? Mount Rushmore, it's it's William Howard Taft. So is that Anyways. that's what we're gonna call the fifth Mount Rushmore pick is the is the Taft pick. is the Taft. It's okay, Taft we gotta board. remember that. If that's kind of what I we were doing did. when Adam was part said of it. it. <laughs> like we all had we all had four and then we kind of agreed on like a fifth or something. That was when Adam Yeah, maybe that was it. All right. Um so my Brad he he fits like the prom king mold uh it was like the first one i thought of when i was thinking like all right early 30s prom king and this was like the first name that popped into my head and then he ended up being the same age as patrick wilson was when he made it and i i don't know about making him a quarterback but i mean he probably played one in high school musical i'm going zach efron <laughs> yeah that's that's almost too easy that's like that's like <laughs> too much of a slam dunk <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like it that's like michael gandolfini playing his dad you know it's, it's almost so easy <laughs> well that, that makes too much the only problem is zach efron might be shorter than tom cruise so 
that's the one the one problem with it he, he's not the tall dark and handsome he's just handsome i don't know <laughs> i don't know about zach efron in law school that but you know yeah if you need to go with, to him with another girl that's definitely zach efron <laughs> yeah that's true that's a fair point all right well let's get into that then kathy played by jennifer Connolly. In the what fourth yeah, four, yeah, movie that we how think? many Jennifer Con- can we rename this cod podcast the almost Jennifer Connolly P- sideways podcast? <laughs> well, she was like second in the most mentioned <laughs> actress in our in our top 100. So, uh, all right, Todd, who do you got? I don't really have Kathy. a good answer for this. I mean, supposedly she's supposed to be like a knockout and I don't know, make documentaries. I don't really, I don't really know how to recast that. I don't think there's anything necessarily special about that role. I went with Kate Hudson because I don't think I've ever said her for one of these before. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. Zach. Most documentary filmmakers are not knockouts. I mean, Agnes Varda, you know, she was a very good looking lady, but I just, you know, I don't think we're we're <coughs> telling our grandkids about that. Um, I went with Nicole Kidman because she was in Big Little Lies, which was what this movie is. Yeah, and she's like 50. Hey, you know, I've seen her in those AMC Stubbs commercials. She's still bringing it, man. She's like Tom Brady. She does not age. True. Aaron Rodgers and Nicole Kidman. Oh, come on. That's believable. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it's not Zach Efron as a former you know, disgraced quarterback, but still, it's close. All right. So, so my pick is Keira Knightley. Um, Mid 30s. I could see her being like the, a little more of the intellectual and making documentary films i couldn't see kate kate uh uh hudson making documentaries that that seems a bit extreme that's why i went with Kira knightley not kate hudson but I okay did, yeah. <laughs> yeah you're just probably better yeah it, it that was that because you you gotta it, it's a tough one there but also you go with you know jennifer Connolly. it was an oscar winner at that point too so Kira knightley this, hasn't won an oscar though no but she's definitely awards recognized she's got oh, several nominations your cast is solid 2011 movie terry i don't know what kira knight has been up to lately i don't know what uh mia wasikowska has been up to lately i i would green light this movie 11 years ago i don't know about today well here i'm looking up what kira knightley's been up to Mia wasikowska was like 18 in 2011 i don't know yeah yeah she's gonna have like a five-year-old kid it's here. Kieran Knightley's been doing stuff. It just hasn't been that big. Like she was in oh the aftermath. I remember that movie. I remember hearing about that movie. <laughs> she's doing remember, she's in just smaller stuff. You know, I remember hearing about that movie. What was it I Colette? Don't know if that came out a couple years ago. Oh yeah, Colette. Colette. Yeah, that was twenty eighteen. That, that was a huge hit. Um, let's see here. There's one here that says it's 2020 called Misbehavior. Yeah, these are these are, these That's are rock a star weird, movies. It's a weird one. Killing it. Well, one she's hit still after working. She's just not doing a ton of big stuff. What's the latest like? Oh, she was in the um that Nutcracker movie in 2018. <laughs> that, that's that's saying a lot about her career, man. She was in the Nutcracker and, and she, movie. Well, that was like a big deal. That was like a big Disney Disney film, Disney holiday film, and then uh, and then in 2017 she was in the uh, the latest Pirates of the Caribbean. 
because that's still culturally relevant. What's this one? She's in one this year called Silent Night. All right, we we got to move on. Who's who's next? I don't know. Fine. No Let's more deep on. dives of Kira Knightley's forgettable filmography. Me trying to justify my picks. Uh, all right. Uh, next is Ronnie, played by Jackie Earl Haley, in his comeback role, uh, Oscar-nominated role. Todd. Yeah, he hadn't been in a movie in like 15 years before this. Like he had no acting credits before this, which is amazing that Todd Field thought of that guy to play this role. I don't really know how to. I, I tried to come up with something in that vein, but I couldn't. I but I went with somebody equally kind of awkward, and in sort of I guess in a Todd Salons kind of way, I went with Mike White. I, I think I'd be Ooh, creepy good as hell. Call. I like that. I like that. This is Ned Schneebly. Uh, all right, Zach, who do you have? I went with Adam Scott, who's also on Big Little Lies, which is this movie, but better. And uh, he... Adam Scott could have been Brad. Yeah, uh, I get it. I mean, it's it's borderline, but you know, let's go with Adam Scott. Yeah, because the first thing you think of when you look at Adam Scott is creep. Hey, listen, the, you know, <laughs> the only other actor I could go with is Young Sheldon. Um, and he's still a kid, so he'd have to play one of the actual little children in this movie. Oh, what, Jim Parsons? No, 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 no. He, no. The, what, the, what's the, his name? Armitage. The, little, the, the kid who's on Young Sheldon is also, yeah. he's, he's Nicole Kidman's son, I think. Oh, no, I mean, dude, Jim Parsons would be great in this role. <laughs> that's that's yeah, not bad, Yeah, okay, actually. I'll go with Jim Parsons. I'll change my mind. There we go, <laughs> Jim Parsons. All right, uh, my pick, I don't know if I necessarily like this one, but I could see him pulling it off. Um, and that's Giovanni Ribisi. Oh, another comeback! You are I, you I are the Quentin Tarantino team. You're you're pulling a Tarantino man, resuscitating these careers from the early 2000s. Well, I mean, I, I mean it. that one is that one. This is like set up to be a comeback role. So that was yeah, Jackie Earl Haley was a total comeback role. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, then you're gonna love my next one. <laughs> well, so I was trying to come up with like like one of them the like, from like the Sandlot or some like Squints or something because like Jackie Earl Haley was most known for the Bad News Bears. Oh and, yeah. So I don't know, but I, I couldn't really come Tom, up with a good or one. What, what's his name? The kid, Tom the kid Geary. who played Smalls. Yeah, Tom Geary. That would have been great. Yeah, he's a good actor. He was a or great young actor. Young William though. Miller. Where is he these days? He probably has a better filmography than Kira Knightley at this point. Michael he's too, He'd be too young though. I think maybe. Yeah, he's too young. All right. Next we have Larry. Larry, uh, played by Noah Emmerich. Noah Emmerich in two of my top 100 movies. Yeah, not the wow. not the one behind me. Although he is in there behind me playing another cop, um, that's why I have the poster up. Um, <laughs> that that's I, why he picked it because of Noah Emmerich. Yeah, it's a Noah Emmerich movie. Isn't there it, even a football scene in Pride and Glory? Oh man, I feel it like there was. Like there probably was, yeah. Like or a, like rugby or something. Underrated Anyways. movie. Um, so Larry is a complicated character. Uh, he is very unlikable but he's passionate and kind of whiny and i think that describes mark duplass to a t <laughs> that's a good call thank you yeah i like that i just watched him in that show with sandra oh he's he that that is a good casting call i like it i can take that which show is stream with he and sandra uh, the the chair the chair. That's right. I remember you talking about that. All right, okay. Zach, who do you have? I went with uh, Alexander Sarsgaard. <clears throat> I think he's got the range. 
I think he puts on some weight for this role. I think he's looking at the supporting actor Oscar nomination and uh, maybe they, they enhance the role a little bit. And uh, I really am just looking at male actors from big little lies at this point. Well, at least you're honest about it. I am. All right. So my pick here, I mean, what I was thinking of, this is a tough one because it's, it's gotta have that, that feel of like, being a has-been washed up past your prime and and so i went with uh jason biggs nice <laughs> what, what? okay jason biggs is a cop though <laughs> i can't I, see I, it i don't know man i can see it He's, he has been in serious stuff before like orange is the new black but I don't. Yeah, as a cop, it's a little odd, but I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> in that scenario, in a in a suburban area, maybe. I just think you know, Officer Jim. I mean, it just—I don't know if it works. <laughs> Why doesn't he play the the pedophile? I don't know. That's the better role. I don't know. I I mean, I I kind of dig it. He could play a lot of these roles, actually. I could see it. I could see it. All right. Next, we have May. Uh, Ronnie's fa- uh, Ronnie's mother, played by Phyllis Somerville. Todd. Here I went with Leslie Manville because oh, I, I feel she like does it, it's just a, way too easy. That's a that, good call. That is a good call. And she's got a lot of the same attributes. That actress. But I, I like I've that. only ever seen Leslie Manville in, uh, um, uh, you know, Thread. another year. Oh. No, I've, I've never seen another year. I can only think of her in uh, Phantom Thread. Oh, man, you need to see another year. That'll give you a whole new uh, perspective on Leslie Manville. Probably one that is a little better toward, suited for this. All right, what do you have, Zach? Uh, I went with Meryl Streep, but I think the obvious pick is someone who is not in uh, uh, Big Little Lies is Ellen Burstyn. Thanks for That's, stealing mine. Yeah, so sorry, Terry. She's bit, like that, 90. That's, that's too easy. Well, if, hey, she's young enough to play uh, the mom in, uh, you know, Promising Young... No, pro, uh, a pro, woman, woman, woman of the year. Pieces woman, of a woman. Pieces of a woman. <laughs> Promising Young <laughs> Woman and starts with a P. <laughs> it came out last year. That's what I was, was thinking. 63 and and low key, I thought Phyllis Somerville was Ellen Burstyn for about five minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> that's that's not that, that's that's fair. <laughs> Why didn't we recast the narrator? We should have thought of that. Oh yeah, mm. we could have. All right. Well, the last one, and this this was a Zach special. Yes. that we had to recast. Oh, I can't wait for this. We had to recast Slutty K. So. Todd, what do you have? I don't. I mean, I don't really know how to recast that. Apparently, I didn't remember the kitchen utensils. I just said Blake <laughs> Lively because why not? Nice, nice, Zach. I went with Alice Eve, who was in uh, the Sex uh... and the City movie and uh, the one with Jay Baruchel. We need her back. She's out of my league. Yeah, she's out of my league. Yeah, she's she's great. I mean, she might be a little old at this point for that role, but uh, you know, I think she'd have a lot of fun with it. I with think she was in. I think she was in the second. Star Trek movie too. Star yeah, Trek that's Darkness. right. Yeah, yeah. So, Not so in Big Little Lies. No, but I mean, who else is? I could I could go with Reese Witherspoon, but the, I mean, Reese Witherspoon is Slutty K or Laura Dern. 
Or well, you know what? That is an interesting casting right there. Laura Dern is slutty K brings a whole new dynamic <laughs> to uh, that husband character, and I think I'm going to go with that. You're right. Laura Dern is a better pick. So my pick is uh, all right. So I don't even know if you guys will understand the reference, but there there's a Saturday Night Live sketch that they've done a few times where there's this teenager that's that's sitting in his room trying to like get his homework done or something and he's got these big life-size posters on his wall and they start talking to him and one of them is uh is a bikini clad emma stone holding a hot dog no no is this this made up no it's 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 really funny and and uh and oh it's on snl on snl yeah i thought you were Okay. And and, and she's got this super super annoying voice that she uses and it's and looking all sexy and saying like the exact opposite of what she should be. It's really it's really great. But yeah, when I thought of recasting Slutty K, all I could think of was the poster of Emma Stone in the SNL sketch. Just look it up. It's pretty good. How about the Misty Meadows from that movie with uh uh R- russell crowe <laughs> you know what i'm talking about todd the one with ryan gosling yeah. that porn star who, who launches in the car accident into the little kid's bedroom whatever happened to her she's somewhere off with mia wasikowska and talking and, about the other guys yeah the no. other guys yeah, yeah. Mis- misty meadows no, so not, the no not the other guys but the nice good guys. guys the nice guys nice guys nice guys are good guys <laughs> the nice guys the nice guys <laughs> Misty Meadows was a great name for a porn star. That that's the only reason I, re- I remember that. Like that sh- that shit should have been used by PTA. You know, like how did he miss out on that? That, that more sounds like a Grand Theft Auto Vice City thing. Yeah. Yeah. Spe- speaking of that, I mean, I, I think Slutty K should have been recast by Heather Graham and oh just well, make it Roller Girl. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Who would Nicolas Cage play? The narrator. Bingo. That's it. Done. <laughs> I think he'd be Larry. That's what I said too. He'd be Larry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I Nicolas Cage narrating a movie would be fascinating <laughs> if he was not in the movie. But see, he's he's one that as soon as you would hear him, like Nicolas Cage is narrating this movie, where I I love the fact that this narrator is completely indistinguishable. Like you, all you know is he's just got a great voice, and that's all that matters. Well, I remember with- I was watching it with this with my buddy Steve Howitt, and he. He's, he turned to me during the football scene, and he's like, this is the guy from NFL Films. And I was like, and it is. It sounds exactly like him the entire movie. <laughs> the, the guy from NFL Films is like a Hall of Fame broadcaster, though. I'm trying to remember who it... It kind of sounds like him, though. Yeah. When you get that in your head when you're watching Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because it, it gets the music going and, and the, the right verbiage and everything. It works. It works. An 80-yard touchdown drive. All right. Highest war performance in this movie, Zach. Highest war performance. Uh, I'm going with Jennifer Connelly. I think she gives the best performance in this movie. I don't know if it's necessarily a high war performance, but I think we struggled with recasting that role, and uh, it's understandable. She's she's awesome in this movie. I think her her scenes are great. She has great delivery. I think my fa- well, I'm okay. I'll just I'll reveal maybe my favorite scene and then pick another one later, but. I lo- it's not even a scene. I love the moment in this movie when she leaves the note for Patrick Wilson that says, uh, do we really need those magazine subscriptions? I guess Jennifer Connelly isn't in that scene, but I like the character and I like that scene. So I like Jennifer Connelly. You like right. the character, you like her performance 
in how she wrote a note off screen and left it for him. You guys didn't like that scene? That was a great, and, that was, that's classic Todd Field. Okay. That's Todd Field 101. It's a, it's it's like, a great scene. It's a great little moment in this movie. It has nothing to do with Jennifer Connelly, but it's probably, her, it could be her handwriting. Well done. Well done. <laughs> she's good in the movie though. Like, you know, this, the dinner scene, the scene where she's in bed, she's, she's really good in this movie. She's yeah. a legit high war. Todd. I don't know. I mean, I have two written down. I, I, I have a hard time not saying Jack Earl Haley. I think it's one of the best performances of the 2000s. And it, I can't imagine like knowing who that was at the time and not necessarily knowing who he was in the movie and seeing that guy from like the past be playing a role like that and just completely seeming convincing. Like I, I feel like that character is real. And Jack Earl Haley's never acted like that before as long as far as I'm concerned. I, I think it's it's masterful work and I, I can't I, I don't I don't I, I was I had a hard time recasting it just because I was like I don't I nobody there's no person you could put in a situation like that that would be similar. Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's not alive. In in that in two thousand six he could have killed that role. Well, I mean, and he, he could have played happened. it, but it wouldn't have been but, it wouldn't have been the, the the surprise like an hour into the movie being like, "Whoa, that that guy, where has that guy been?" And then just oh, after so you're, talk, him. you're talking about it at a meta level that it's not just the performance, but it's that it's well, Jack Earl Haley. Both. Okay, I see what you're saying. Well, and and it and he had been out of it. I, my pick was Jack Earl Haley too, but he'd been out of it for so long that I mean, he would have been unrecognizable to those that even knew him from anything and and yeah it needed to be an unrecognizable face um and so yeah i i said that too but if i was gonna pick something else uh i would have said noah emmerich uh because he's just got such a distinctive look as this lovable loser i mean even go back as far uh, go back to truman show which is the other movie todd had of his in his top 100 and all of Uh. us had that um he he's that lovable loser and he just kind of embodies that perfectly and and it that one i found really hard to recast too because you could totally buy him as a retired cop you could totally buy him as screwing up big time and you could totally buy him doing everything he was doing in that movie so that that was that was one that i i really wanted to go with as well yeah, I, I love him in this movie. He is, you could feel how worn down he is. Because, like, even the way he carries himself, it looks like somebody who's been through the ringer. And, like, like the, the scene where they're showing up to the football practice the first time, um, where he's just, like, going from player to player, like, like talking about, like, the coalition or whatever. And, you know, it's like, it's like that scene, like, he is, like, kind of getting back into his groove but at the same time he also is just super pathetic at the same time and noah emmerich is able to do things in that i mean it's not perfect but what it what it is is believable and i i think he's great in this movie you're you're, you're right and that character is just fascinating too i mean just the, the this disgraced guy who's just trying to find a focus and purpose for his life and and doing it in all the wrong ways it, it's just such a cool cool character and fascinating character to to dig into and he does a great job with it yeah see like the problem that i have is that look todd you're absolutely you went about this the right way i read the book i thoroughly enjoyed the book i think tom perota is a great author and the problem with this movie is that it, it tried to do too much with the book it tried to include all the characters 
And that character in the book is way more developed. I mean, there are entire chapters about that character's life and his backstory. Now, he's honestly, he's the third lead. I mean, that, the book is about Sarah. It's about Brad, who, by the way, has a different name in the book. And it's about that character. It's not even about the child molester. So I think I'm responding a little bit to my dissatisfaction with the, the adaptation of it. Yeah, I, I try to make a point of never reading a book before I watch the movie. That's fair. Because And 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 it's funny because my wife is the exact opposite. If there's a book, she wants to read it before she watches the movie. But she loves reading too much, and I love movies too much. So, Yeah, I tried to read the book that Todd Field was supposed to direct next, which was called The Creed of Violence, and then it was scrapped. So then I, I, now I have this book that I read that is never going to get made. It, it's movie. still yeah. on his IMDb page with the with the parenthetical statement, abandoned i've never yeah. seen that before on imdb <laughs> he was also supposed to direct a cormac mccarthy movie and i bought the blood book meridian. so I, yeah blood meridian i bought the book which ebert said was one of his 10 favorite books ever written and i never read it but that would have been a great intriguing todd field project that was abandoned i don't know i think we need a deep dive of abandoned todd field projects <laughs> do that alongside stanley kubrick abandoned projects and we got a great podcast well, apparently he currently has two project projects in in work that uh, star Daniel Craig. I find that interesting. He was at one point attached to the Creed of Violence. The Creed of Violence. Yep. He that it says that's in. That should have been a trivia question. How many abandoned projects does Todd Field have? <laughs> it it <laughs> says written written and directed by Todd Field, starring Daniel Craig. The Creed of Violence, and then uh, there's a TV show. That he's uh, he's worked in also. some TV. He had that Carnival show, and uh, I don't know. There was something else he worked on. But that one he didn't direct. It looks like there's one that it says he's directing called Purity. That is Daniel Craig as well. See, I have this theory about Todd Field that you know when he was on the set of Eyes Wide Shut, he just tried. To, he was so enamored with Stanley Kubrick that he tried to become Stanley Kubrick. You know, like that movie with the Stanley Kubrick impersonator. And that's why he doesn't make movies anymore because he just believes he's Stanley Kubrick or something. I mean, he, Stanley Kubrick would have made a movie like Little Children. I, it's one of the most Stanley Kubrickian movies of the two thousands. That's an interesting, interesting perspective. Perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I think Todd and I both went for the exact same quote at the same time. <laughs> All right. Worst performance, Todd. I mean, I said Sadie Goldstein. That oh, is the, the kid? The daughter. Oh, come on. She, she, she is bad. I don't know. She's only had one other movie. I looked at it. It was Synecdoche, New York. I, I don't know. I don't think that she really fits. Like, I mean, the... How is, this, how is this role not played by Perla Janie Hardin or Jardin? Perla, 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 a BB from uh, Kill Bill Volume 2. Oh, maybe she's a little too old. I was thinking of one of the daughters from In America or something. Yeah, well, they they would be too old too. Yeah. It's a four-year-old. I don't know. Screw it. Maybe it's a bad pick. <laughs> uh, some... So my pick is uh, is Greg Edelman as uh, Sarah's husband. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he he just he just seems very just it it just felt like a. Did, I mean, that, he's kind of a a not a should, very well developed character. But that should have been he, Greg Kinnear. We're talking about Greg Kinnear cast in this movie. That was the Greg Kinnear role. 
But yeah, it was it was kind of a throwaway part, and he gave a throwaway performance. It yeah. was a throwaway part. I don't know why. So we get this great extended scene sequence with him and his his obsession with Slutty K. Great sequence. Todd Field's a great director, and then it never they never return to it. Like there's no resolution. There's no payoff for it. Like you're just throwing it out there. What we you never wanted see to it again. Meet Slutty K. That's I did really want to meet Slutty K. I have a lot of conspiracies <laughs> about Slutty K. We'll get to that later. You want you want it to be like the virginity hit where they actually have Sonny Leone pop into the movie at the end or something? Is that what I wanted this to be a girl next door type escapade. You know, I wanted him to go to Vegas with his buddies. I wanted I wanted him to see the expo up close with, with and, and and for Slutty K to have the balloons and to have the spatula. I mean, is that too much to ask? That would have been so much more interesting than the rest of this movie. You heard it here. Zach wants a Todd Field movie to be more like the girl next door. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Write it down. Hey, yeah, All right. Yeah. Zach, what was your worst performance? Well, originally I had Noah Emmerich, but then the more I was thinking about it, you guys are right. I think I'm being a little unfair to, to the character, not so much the performance. So I'm going to go instead with uh, Mary B. McCann as Marianne, um, who I think <laughs> over-exaggerates in this movie. I think the character is really one-dimensional. Um, and why was she invited to the book club? What 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 older sister, what, what was going on there, right? I'm amazed she even read Madame Bovary. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that one. That would have been, that was my other choice. Well, spoiler alert, that was my biggest douchebag because if you remember right, that was my number one movie, Karen, when we actually did that. Oh, Karen. oh nice. And I, did, I didn't remember that, but there is zero debate that she is the biggest movie Karen in the history of movies. <laughs> Agreed. Now that I remember what character you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Going to a book club. And she does on, call on the Madden police Bovary. in this movie, does she not? Was she at the swimming pool when Jackie Earl Haley was? Oh, well, she she would have called the police she if probably she had been was there. there. Yeah, that's a good uh, call. Yeah. She, she like gets everyone to run away just because they 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 hugged and kissed in the park. <laughs> yeah, shield your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and also is the one that that uh that has the backup snack just so that just so she could um make uh Kate Winslet feel like crap. Yeah, that, that delivery is so bad. There's no way Todd Field watches that scene and doesn't cringe a little bit at that performance. It, oh, but she's it, supposed to be a bitch. Like, that... but yeah, no kidding, man. Like, come on, let's hammer it home a little harder. Like, come on, let's That's get what a, she a, said. A, little, a little subtlety. <laughs> slutty K said. <laughs> Can we create a Slutty K award? <laughs> I don't know what it would be for, but like maybe an unseen character with a spatula, like. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Maybe, maybe maybe it's we the... want to know something about or something. Is that... Character you want to know something about or or the best that's what she said line in the movie. I think one of the two. <laughs> yeah, well the one lady has that that whole monologue and then she doesn't understand <laughs> what it means and the like it means she's a slut. It's like anal sex. Oh, was I the other one that didn't get that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Amazing Larry, Big Tim, High Roller. Uh, I'll go first. Mine might be a little too big to be it, but I'm going with it anyway. I love May, Ronnie's mom, and she's not in much, but she and but she has a significant role. But she's just an awesome character. Like the moment she's on screen and just the way the stuff she says and um, 
and how she acts and how she treats him and how she treats everybody else. And she's just awesome. And I love that character. Yeah, and it's a great character. It was a really underrated role in the movie because, like, I, I think she was good enough to get nominated for an Oscar that year. And I, I was just about to say that too. Yeah. It. All right, Todd. Uh, I have a few written down. Um, I mean, I think the one I think Zach's probably going to go with. So I'll go with the other one. I like Aaron, the the son of Patrick <laughs> Wilson, because. I like he has these like awesome scenes, especially with the narrator involved, where it's like, or where he's like explaining how he how like yeah, it's just something like a uh, uh, that adults do when they're a friend, like hi, I'm your friend, and it's like Aaron was skeptical, he's just like shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a great Arrested Development kind of moment, and plus the court jester hat. I mean, he's kind of a pimp, like maybe a future stickman too. I I think Aaron's a great character. It wasn't until I sat down for the for the podcast and opened up the page that I realized Aaron was played by Ty Simpkins, who was like the kid in Iron Man three, and he was a kid in Jurassic World, and like he's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I didn't realize that until I rewatched it this time either. Yeah, totally didn't didn't pay attention and know that until I saw his name sitting here at the computer. All right, Zach. Well, I've already said my admiration for Slutty K, so I'm going to go with a different character, which is Raymond J. Berry as a bullhorn yep. Bob. Yep. And, <laughs> yep. First of all, wasn't Raymond Berry like a football player, like in real life? I don't know, but like um, bullhorn Bob, I, I also think he's a low key can for biggest stick man because like he's got in a wheelchair. Well, so you know, so was John Voight, you know, and he got it in. So I, I think Bullhorn Bob's got a great life story. I one of the flaws I have with this movie is how does Jennifer Connelly as this filmmaker not see that he would make a much more interesting documentary than the son of the kid who or the, the kid whose dad went to Iraq? Bullhorn Bob needs his own documentary that we can show on PBS with the frontline narrator. As a side note. This movie has a lot of interesting character names. Did you guys did you guys notice that in the uh, the IMDb filmography? Like we've got you know kind woman in hospital. We've got G, who I think is supposed to be one of the skateboarders, and then we have Tony Carrenti, not the NFL referee, <laughs> <laughs> even though this movie is about football and has the voice of the NFL. Uh, so who, who who was that character? I have no clue. It's uh, someone named Chadwick Brown. I mean, there are there are characters here who I don't remember in the movie. There's someone named Pete Olafson. There's a, a, a tow yard attendant. Where was there a tow yard in this movie? I feel like some of these scenes must have been cut. Child at Steakhouse. Oh, maybe that's that, that's the date they go on. Um, yeah, I you know just a, a lot of random characters, but you know I do I do like a lot of the the I mean this is something that Todd Field is really good at in his you know grand total of two movies he made is finding really good character actors. Like I do like the guy at the hospital who basically tells um, Jackie Earl Haley about the process that they're going to go through. Like I don't know why that scenes in the movie, but I really like like it because of that actor. That actor felt authentic. It kind of reminded me of the lawyer in in the bedroom who basically is only there to kind of, you know, provide exposition about what happens over the course of the movie, what they ha the characters have to go through. But it was a very believable character. And I wonder if Todd Field just casts like a real life person to do it. Sort of Alexander Payne-ish in that. Yeah, or like the Nobel Prize guy from uh, Beautiful Mind, who there is actually go. an actor, but should be hired by the Nobel Committee. <laughs> I liked Raymond J. Berry better in Walk Hard. 
He was in Wrong one card. Died. Oh, that's right. He's a dad. Oh, nice. He's having a big mid two thousands. Sounds like. Yeah. All right. I know Spider Stickman for a Spirit Award like the year before this too. He was. Yeah, for this, it was a movie called Steel City. I don't Thanks. know. I don't know why I remember that. I remember Don Cheadle announcing those nominations. All right. Spider Stickman Award. <laughs> Let's go Stickman and Douchebag together. Um, I'll go first. Uh, my Stickman is Brad. Of course. I mean, it's yeah. pretty it's pretty obvious, I think. The, the prom king. The prom king. Yeah. And my douchebag is Larry. I mean... It, all you need to know about Larry is is when when he is brought up to uh, to Kathy, her response is, "I thought you didn't like him." <laughs> he's like, yeah, "He's all right." <laughs> yeah, so he's he's a douchebag. Todd. Well, I said my douchebag was Marianne, so I'm sticking with that. My uh, the other stick man, I don't know. I I guess I I almost want to say Ronnie because I feel like on the date. He is, like, really sly. Like, he's like, I don't know, Sheila, you want to share something sweet? And she's totally <laughs> into it. I feel like if he had different urges, he, he probably would get it in. If that's what he wanted to do, he would get it in. Yeah, but how how awkward is it that he asked that her, uh, the rest of her meal get boxed up so he could eat it at home? I thought one I of your felt I thought one of your trivia questions was going to be in what animal shape was the box food in? Isn't it always Which a, is swan? a swan? It's always a swan. Yeah, there was actually a Sopranos good. episode I just watched the same day as Little Children that also had a swan boxed up uh, <laughs> food. There was a Friends episode that had a, a swan. I've never seen that in real life. Is that a real thing? I don't know. I've never seen it either, but I've seen it in movies on TV. Well, then it I'm has sure to be it is. real. All right, Zach. Okay, uh, Stickman is obviously Brad. No, no question. Um, the biggest douchebag in the movie is is Richard, uh, uh, Sarah's husband, and you know, not even responding to the knock at the door. Like, I mean, he 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 heard the knock at the door. He was not willing to interrupt uh, the the process, and was much more concerned with deliver delivery than he was with courtesy. Uh, which is, I think, a, a real mark of, of a douchebag. And then the sweater at the dinner table, you know, he, it, it's, it's branding, not advertising, which is an oddly prescient line for 2006, because I don't think people would have known the difference back then. I think they do today. Anyway, uh, to total douchebag. And I'm shocked that he, he wasn't mentioned by either of you. He also is kind of a sad loser, too, though. He kind of reminds me of like the the character that gets screwed in Boiler Room or something like that, that kind of character. He's like a he's like a like a really sad family man who, I don't know, has to find other ways of entertaining himself. So you think he went to the boiler room firm and mouthed off about someone and got kicked out by Ben Affleck? No, he's he's the guy who ends up like buying all the shit stock. And, he's too like, old. He, he wouldn't have disrupting been disrupting his. It's not the same actor. It kind of looks like him, honestly. I don't know. I mean, I, I yeah, R Richard is a yeah. I mean, he probably is a douchebag, but I I also think that he is a little sad. Has there ever been a character in a movie named Richard who wasn't a douchebag? I mean, Richard was also Marissa Tomei's ex-husband in, in the bedroom. I can't think of a lot of noble Richards. I don't, I've never seen Richard the Third, so I, you know. <laughs> when when I hear Richard, I th I think Richard, what's happening? Oh, so David Spade totally and Tommy Boy. 
Yeah, he's a douchebag. <laughs> Richie Rich does not I mean, count because he goes it's, by. It's Richie. a character played by David Spade, so it, yeah. it's a douchebag. <laughs> Can we call this the Richard Douchebag Award? It's like, the Oliphant Richard. <laughs> the Richard Oliphant Award. The Richard Oliphant Award. Yes. <laughs> everybody's going to understand those references. Our loyal listeners will. Uh, Wasn't Richard will. also the husband in Little Miss Sunshine? Or am I crazy? Yeah. Yeah, there it is. How is yeah, th- this has to be a thing now, along with the William Taft Award. There was a Richard Nixon. He's president. He was a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, I, I think there's there's something to the fact that your your name can be shortened to Dick that mm. makes you a douchebag. I think it's just written in your DNA. I don't know. Little Richard seems pretty nice, though. That's true. That's true. He's the exception to the rule. Well, he, he's probably just subtle about it because he's a he's little Richard. There, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's a one hundred right there. All right, Zach. What's the best scene? Oh, uh, well, I the best moment I said was the sticky note, but I gotta say I do like uh, the dinner scene I, where the, when the characters finally confront each other, and that is where this movie delivers. That comes at about maybe the hour forty mark. And up to that point, I think the movie has really kind of been slow and tedious. That's a great scene. I love how the, there's some really good language that the, the narrator says where he's like, sexual tension is a hard thing to detect. But like, you know, like a, a frequency on the airwave on a radio, you know, that she picked it up. And, and her reaction is really great in that sequence. And she goes under the table. I don't know why she fixates on uh, Kate Winslet's to, uh, toenail polish. My wife and I were wondering about that. We, we couldn't figure it out. But that's a really good scene. The movie should have been more of that. It's strange that and, and then and then even the scene after that, when she brings in the mother-in-law was pretty funny because the narrator said, I, I wrote this down. He says that she saves for a ominously indefinite amount of time. I love that, that word. <laughs> that's a good, good writing. Anyway, that's the best scene in the movie. No question. So, and what, you know, you're praising all of the narration thing in that scene, in that scene. It no, was it, good it's narration. Great. It's great. It, it's great throughout. Come on. Like he, he gives a perspective of like what we'd be thinking, but we can't, we don't actually say. I also love Jennifer Connelly in that scene. I think she reaffirms her status as the highest war when Kate Winslet's like, you know, she 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 assumes that Jennifer Connelly made the dinner, and then Jennifer Connelly's like, yeah, Brad's a great great cook, isn't he? <laughs> like her reaction to that scene is is great acting. Well, they all agree in that. Like even, yeah, even it, like it I'm is like oh, thing. like I didn't know he was on your team. Yeah, and like the yeah, it's super awkward except for Richard because he could give a shit. He's in branding, <laughs> not advertising. It's a common misconception. Uh... All right. Odds that Richard was wearing the panties in the dinner scene. Oh, <laughs> well, he one. liked to wear them on the on his face. So that's true. That's true. They were on his body somewhere. That <laughs> he had was, them. He had like them. With his with his ear, it's like yeah, like half the time. Like I have a, I have an ear and big money in my in my pocket. You know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bring it, Andy Stitzer. Well, yeah, yeah, it was around the time of this movie, I guess. <laughs> What's the movie? What's the movie where it's like they talk about happy tissues versus sad tissues? Do you know what I'm talking about, Todd? Like, there's some good mm, Apatow esque no. comedy from the early 2010s where it's like we need more happy tissues and not so many sad tissues. I don't. Know, one four listeners will know what I'm talking about. It was. It was like. It was like. Um, oh, it was. It, it was like one of those. Uh, you know, forgetting Sarah Marshall type movies. That what was been for Are we gonna look this up here? Actually, happy tissues. <laughs> Or sad, or sad tissue. I think it's forgetting Sarah Marshall. If I had to make a guess, 
Uh, well, it might be a song lyric, so maybe it wasn't forgetting Sarah Marshall. My wife would know. I'll have to ask her. We 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 like to quote. It that looks line like Jason Siegel. Yeah, it's forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Wow. Yeah, it's, a big, it's a big like uh, look like a Samoan looking guy, like oh. yeah, in a bedroom with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes I don't sense. know. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. That's Terry's movie. That is my movie. I know it's we're going to do that movie. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Todd, what's the best scene? Uh, I Bringing love us the, all back. <laughs> I love the, the scene when Ronnie first comes into the movie in that pool scene. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's a great introduction to a character. And it, it's like kind of devastating to watch. But it's also really weird at the same time with how they shoot it. But it's super realistic with how everyone reacts. And I actually think, oddly, he's like a really good swimmer. Like, I don't think it's just like the like the, the flappers he has in his feet or whatever you call those things. I don't know what they're called. But like, like he's actually really moving around that pool. I, I think it's a really weird, it's like, it's, a, it's a, a calm scene and then it becomes a disturbing scene and then it's just weird. And then it's really sad. And I like all those emotions come within like a five minute period. And I think it's a great, great scene. Didn't we have a power rankings of best swimming pool scenes? Did we include this on the list? I think I had it in my honorable mentions. I had completely forgotten it existed. I'd I'd forgotten it too. Yeah, but it is a great scene and it's beautifully shot and and yeah, he does an amazing job and I love the this this is one of one of two I had written down. Um I love just the subtle the subtleness of Kate Winslet being the first one that notices and she just goes Oh no. And you can tell it's not because she's going to react like everybody else, but she is, she sees how everyone is about to react. Like and she's this, like, yeah, this day's about to go to shit right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great scene. Uh, the scene I picked was the football scene. And and more importantly, the that last run of of uh, Brad to the end zone, I mean, it is ridiculously amazing. You know, watching Larry like throw himself at a guy behind him to to block throw a block, yes. and I mean, it it is it is like slapstick comedy level. Like like it could have Patrick Wilson could have been Harold Lloyd running to the end zone in that moment. Um, it, it was, and then, and then you add to it the, the, the like NFL films ask music in the background with the narration of the methodical 80 yard drive. I mean, it was, it's just a beautifully done scene. This ragtag group of former law enforcement officers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just so good. <clears throat> All right. If there were a sequel... I mean, this is always a category we have. I don't know, Todd. If there were a sequel, I mean, I I like the I I mean I I like the bartender that is trying to I kick wrote him Larry down out. Too. And I was That's thinking like character. some sort of spin off of <laughs> that guy's bar would be fun. I also want to know what time it was when he was trying to kick him out. Like it was a night league. That game probably got over at like maybe like nine o'clock, nine thirty. Like was it like two 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 a.m. when he was still waiting for Brad? I mean, because he is that sad that he'd still be there. I don't know. I, I'm going to say there there have been many sequels, and it's any movie about skateboarders. Paranoid Park. Yeah, Paranoid Park uh, was, was, a, was a spiritual sequel. Or mid-90s. There we go. 
those were the mid nineties kids yeah. that were that were uh, that he was watching. Skate kitchen, bit, mining the gap, mining the gap. That was the other one I was thinking of. Brad is like so infatuated with those skateboarders too. It's like um, it's like he's like running and he just immediately stops. He's like, oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> he's in it. <laughs> You didn't think, which is a fascinating moment of the movie too. I love that moment. That's such a beautiful moment there. At the end, yes, because you realize that the whole thing isn't about Sarah. It's just about him trying to find something exciting to make him feel alive. That is what we call labored. That was labored writing by that screenwriter trying to kind find a contrived way to end the movie. And oh, it just so happens he gets injured, and that's why he can't meet up with Sarah, and she sees it. It's like. Okay, we'll get to the is that, the end of is that how, is that how is, the book ends? Labored. I'm just curious. Is that how I, the book ends? I don't remember how the book ends, but I remember reading uh, that the the movie does differ than the book in its ending. I think that the book that the book's ending is a lot darker, is what I read. Okay. Did you have a sequel, Zach? Oh uh, well, besides the slutty case spinoff, um, maybe it would be about her dead uncle or something like that. Uh, it would be um, about uh, it would it would be the documentary. About the kid whose dad was killed by the I- IUD or IUD. Oh, that's a that's a good call. Yeah, yeah, we need to see that movie. Yep. Okay. Any flaws? Anything outdated? Conspiracy theories? I actually have something this time, um, because it, I you can't watch this now and not think how laughable it is to have a married couple sitting down arguing over whether or not to get a cell phone phone. yeah that was a really realistic (laughs) scene in 2006 that probably does not make sense to anyone under the age of 25 today but that was probably have that cell phone now shouldn't i that was a real conversation man i mean look terry i don't remember your stat i remember i did not have a cell phone in 2006 i was debating whether to get one or not i got one at the end of my sophomore year but that was like like a real conversation to have i had one in senior year of high school well look at you yep Yep. Well, it was, it was, it was the, the family cell phone. And then I, I just adopted it because I was a senior in high school and Todd was 14 years old. So he wasn't going to have it. I do kind of like that scene though, because it it just kind of shows what a, what a schlubbish loser Brad is like, who's he going to call? He doesn't have any friends. Like, (laughs) and, and, and I think, you know, Kathy kind of laughs at him like, Oh, you, you have a cell phone. Okay. Again, Jennifer Connelly. She's in all the best scenes in this movie. That's why she's the, the highest war. All right. Todd, do you have anything? Uh, well, I think, I mean, I've talked to Terry about this exact flaw before in this movie, and that's that it's kind of ridiculous to consider Kate Winslet as being boyish when they're like, there's several scenes in the movie where clearly she is not boyish in her, her like body image. No, but she wears she wears suspenders. She must be a boy. That's why they have her wear suspenders. It's like, okay, we get it. Yeah, well, it's a little heavy-handed. I mean, I mean, what we're we're nine years removed from uh, paint me like one of your French girls, and now she's a boy. It, yeah, yeah. that's I, good call on that. We've talked about that before, Terry. I remember, like when the movie came out, we talked about that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't remember the movie. I'm not going to remember our conversation about the movie from. 15 well, it had years a profound ago. effect on me, and 
I watched it before my first Sonic game. It was a very, it was a very uh, interesting time. Oh, I I remember hearing your stories of you went to see little children and then went in Seattle and then went from there to the Sonic game. We had to run like we had to go up several escalators to get to our movie screen. And like at the end of the movie, there was this guy like when right before the credits started rolling, he booked out of there like he had to pee or something. And then and then so the next time I watched the movie again with with Steve, who I watched with the first time, right before the movie ended, he booked out of the room. <laughs> we both laughed at him the last time we did. That's know, beautiful. Just, beautiful. I know. This, what was what was Steve's review of this movie? Oh, he loved it. Like like I'm saying, everybody loves this movie that watches it. Even like that is not his thing. Like his favorite movie of all time is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Like I mean, th- that's the kind of movie he watches. This is not his kind of thing at all. But like I said, like we're gonna be in Seattle. This movie I really want to see is there. It's the only place it's playing. Uh, we're gonna go see this before the move before the game, and he yeah he loved it. We wa- we watched it again. Wait wait so, so you watched it with him the first time you saw it and this past week? No, we watched it again like when it came out on video. Oh, which is not something we did with any movie other than The Girl Next Door. <laughs> Whatever happened to Steve? Is he still around? Oh yeah yeah he, he's still kicking. <laughs> I doubt he listens to this podcast. Well, if he's, yeah, you, you should, should send it to, to him since he's ugly. playing a prominent role in this podcast episode. You should send this one to Well, him. I've mentioned that story several times. Like, Was he one of like... the people that you like hired and so you asked him what his favorite movie is and that's why you became close? Because he said the good, the bad, and the ugly? No, no. he was. I went to like I, I went to middle school and high school with Steve. Like, oh. he, he's a, he's oh, yeah, a I know Steve. Friend. I know Steve. But oh. no, I mean, when I when when I started like ranking movies, like I had him like r- write out like his top fifty, and he would have a, a like a point system where he would, but he would never go above like a like a ninety one out of a hundred. He's like, I can't have this be a hundred as my favorite movie because then what could what if something's better than it? I was like, that's a really interesting perspective. I never thought about it like that. Shout out to Steve. I think Steve's the MVP of this podcast. Isn't there isn't there some stuff that you still only do with Steve? Like like your bowl challenge, I want to say. Yeah. 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 And um well we, we used to do like uh every single week of the college football season, we would uh we would pick against the spread every game that involved the top twenty five team and we would compare at the end of the week and yeah we were degenerates then, we still are, but yeah, Steve's still like like my best buddy. All right. LVP, MVP. Oh, what about me? I know. Oh, yeah, Zach. Go ahead. I've said them this entire podcast. I'll just add one more, which is that the scene at the end of the movie, I I really hated the last 10 minutes of this movie, but the scene with Ronnie and Larry with the castration, that was Paul Haggis shit. Okay. That was like crash. And that's all I got to say. No, that was like no country for men or something. Like that's how the that's how this movie ended. What? No, it was like, oh, here's a redemption arc for both these characters. Oh, Zach just I mean, hates redemption arcs. I think I that's really what it comes down arcs. to. That's true. I'll accept, you know, my favorite movie is about a redemption arc, but besides that, of a very misogynist character. This is a feminist movie, by the way. So then, yeah, you're a little oh backwards. Oh my gosh! Hey, watch that, f-ing, or so, excuse me, watch the, <laughs> the book review scene and tell me this is a feminist movie. I mean, I, I uh... yeah, yikes. It's the hunger for an alternative, and the and the refusal to accept a life of unhappiness. Yes, I remember that from the trailer that I watched about forty five thousand times. That was better than this movie. <laughs> All right, 
uh, yes, I think that's what we've gotten out of this is Zach just hates redemption arcs. Except in, in unless it's with Dustin Hoffman, who's yeah. currently canceled. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Fair point. You you know if, if Dustin Hoffman comes out with another movie in the next couple years, it's gotta be like your number one of the year. That's not, yeah, I, I would did not love Last Chance Harvey. Not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> or the movie he made about the old people that he was the director of although i didn't see it i just decided i the last quartet no that was no it, i think it was a quartet the late quartet was with philip seymour hoffman the late quartet yeah, yeah but the, he wasn't in that we, we, yeah. we, we gotta move on we're 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 on lvp mvp let's wrap this thing up we've been going long enough i'm gonna see right. tom brady get booed zach lvp mvp Elvin, well, well, MVP is Steve because he he wore t- for two movies, uh, two showings of little children, and still liked it. So, mad props uh, to Steve. Um, LVP of this movie, uh, gosh, I don't know. Um, oh, I didn't really think of a good LVP. Maybe just PBS because you've got in this movie Frontline. You've got a documentary filmmaker who clearly does PBS stuff. In fact, I think that's even referenced in the dialogue. And then there's a a cameo appearance by Charlie Rose. What is with this movie's obsession with PBS? I don't know. It's about as exciting as a PBS uh, documentary. So, you know, there's that. I think you've given like a a retroactive thumbs down to like every movie that I've picked. Uh, Possibly. (laughs) What would be your new star rating of this movie, Zach? I would give it two and a half stars. I'm being very hard on it because I, you know, I, Todd Field is a great filmmaker and he doesn't make movies anymore. And it's sad that he doesn't. So this is what we're left with. But at the time I did like the movie more. All right. uh, I'll go next. My LVP is Hollywood for not allowing Todd Field to make any more movies. And uh, my MVP is Todd Field. Because, I mean, In the Bedroom, yeah. Little Children, these are two amazing films, and and they're all he's been able to do. And the fact that it took him five years to get another movie made, and then it was this, and now we're 15 years later and he still hasn't made anything else. Come on. I mean, my guess is that it isn't Hollywood that isn't allowing Todd Field to make a movie. I'm sure he's had lots of offers. He's just a recluse. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure Hollywood would love it if Todd Field made more movies. I don't know if Hollywood would love it. The Oscars might love it, but I don't know if Hollywood would. All right, Todd. Yeah, I was going to similar. I had the LVB being Todd Field for not making any more movies and the MVP being Todd Field because this is, (laughs) you know, a masterpiece and I want him to make more movies. And also the narrator because I don't know anyone to write a narrator into like a very literate book like this and Todd Field also did that. So the narrator will lime in and Todd Field are the MVPs. So Jack, so Zach, just for reference, you gave this originally four stars, and it was your number six of two thousand six. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, so you want me to drop this out of your top ten? Uh, sure. Okay, you'll you'll have to tell me later what what's gonna what's gonna replace it. All right, it is time for quote of the day. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, my quote of the day comes from a league of their own. And it is uh, it is Jimmy Dugan who who says uh, it's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard is what makes it great. R.I.P. 2021 Seattle Mariners.
you, you had a good run. Mm-hmm. Better days are ahead. Can't wait till Julio's playing. Go Ems. Todd. Oh no, let, let's go Zach next. I'll give Todd the last word. My quote comes from the late great James Gandolfini as Tony Soprano. And I shouldn't do it in my impersonation of him, but I can't resist. Tony Soprano says, let me tell you something. Nowadays, everybody's got to go to shrinks and counselors and go on Sal and Jesse Raphael and talk about their problems. Whatever happened to Gary Cooper, the strong, silent type? He, that was an American. He wasn't in touch with his feelings. He just did what he had to do. See, what they don't know is that once they got Gary Cooper in touch with his feelings, they, wouldn't, they weren't able to shut him up. And then it's this function, this, and this function, that, and this function, Vafangul. That's all. That's like from the first episode. Yeah. And, it's a great and, quote. And when we watched it, here, here's what happened. When we watched it, my wife said, who's Sally Jesse Raphael? That's, that's what happened in that moment. And I went, oh, oh, that's sad. All right, Todd, last word. Uh, so I have two quotes. Uh, one is A.O. Scott's review of Little Children, which is, in too many recent movies, intelligence is woefully undervalued, and it is this quality, even more than its considerable beauty, that distinguishes little children from, from its peers. And I agree. And then also Marianne also says, maybe I didn't understand the book. And that's the way I feel about Zach. So, you Did know. Tony rank this as number one movie? This is a Tony movie, by the way. No, it was, was in his top ten. Okay. <laughs> what was it tied with? Because he has ties for every spot in his top ten. Uh, hold on. Critic who, who named Borat the best movie of last year. <laughs> Obviously a highly respected, venerated voice. Uh, yeah, talking about intelligence in movies. Uh, it, was, it was just straight up his number nine of 2006. Oh, straight up number nine. That's interesting because usually number nine, he has like three or four things tied. Yeah, some, before he got some movie from Tanzania that no one ever saw. Yeah, This is before he, he was part of at the movies. Ah, uh, okay. All right, well... With that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode and more ridiculous banter. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.